0: Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition on Saturday night, March 5th, I believe, uh, to the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hogan, and for the next three hours, I'm going to bring you a continuing story, which is really unbelievable. About uh, a little over two months ago, almost now three months uh, December, January, February, it's uh, first week in March. We began a series of remarkable experiments transmitting radio signals, ordinary uh, EM radio transmissions, electromagnetic radiation, uh, first on a very large antenna with a very large effective power of something like half a million watts, and now with a much smaller handheld device and I'll explain why we're doing that in a minute. And we set our first test transmissions in the direction of this object that came zipping through the solar system several years ago in October of 2017, an object that NASA named aMOMOA, which kind of generally means a uh, first scout uh, going before that kind of thing. anyway um during its quick passage through the solar system it was discovered very early on by tracking the orbit that it was on what's called a hyperbolic trajectory it had uh, never been here before it entered the solar system at excess of what's called escape velocity meaning it was uh falling faster toward the sun than if it had been uh you know sitting still and just had uh, kind of wandered into the gravitational influence in the Milky Way. And it made a sharp right-hand turn and departed in the direction of Pegasus at roughly 90 degrees, uh, again, in excess of escape velocity from the sun, never to return. So in December of 2021, around December 4th, it was this sliver in the dark, about two and a half billion miles away, utterly mysterious, and there was a serious groundswell of discussion in the mainstream astronomical community, following our discussion here on the other side of midnight several weeks before, that a muamua was not a natural object. Uh, Astronomers tried to fit it into several categories. Uh, First it was termed a comet, Then when no cometary uh, signatures like a coma or a tail were detected, it was called an asteroid. And then when uh, anomalous motions were detected, it was shifted back in the mainstream to a cometary object. But actually, there were several mainstream astronomers following our, our lead, which stated very bluntly that it was potentially an interstellar active artificial probe um, of a class basically uh, devised by a Stanford engineer back in the 1960s named uh, Robert Bracewell. A Bracewell probe in uh, Bracewell's model was an artificial object created by some distant extraterrestrial civilization that instead of sending radio signals into its section of the galaxy would create a whole series of very sophisticated robotic probes, AI probes, run by artificial intelligence. And they would dispatch them on trajectories to their nearest star systems. And even if it took them centuries at the sublight speeds, you know, rocket technology, obsolete rockets, they would eventually wind up in this distant solar system They would go into orbit and they would lie in wait. They would orbit quietly waiting for a potential indication of intelligence in that particular star system. And the idea behind Bracewell's model that a culture would create hundreds of these or maybe even a thousand or more and send them in all directions to hang out in the stars globed, you know, several hundred light years around them. And they would simply wait for the probe to pick up radio signals indicative of a high technology civilization capable of uh, manipulating the electromagnetic spectrum with all the associated technologies that go into creating radio certainly radio that can be heard across interstellar distances and uh, they would then send signals from an orbit around the star back to the planet or, and the culture that was sending radio, and thereby the model was that uh, there would be a two-way communication established between the indigenous civilization, the artificial probe that had come from a distant solar system, and the probe would then record a whole bunch of these transmissions and then send it back to its home world its home solar system hundreds or maybe a 1,000 or more light years distant. That was the model. So when Oumuamua came zipping through the solar system, there were some people, us uh, us at the uh, kind of forefront, who said because of the characteristics of its trajectory, the fact that if you look in detail at the numbers attached to its swift hyperbolic orbit around the sun, including its diving into the solar system at 32 degrees, all of those numbers had over and over again, things like phi, 19.5, et cetera, et cetera. So to our mind, the geometry of the orbit itself was a hallmark of its artificiality. For other reasons, totally separate reasons, uh, Abby Loeb at Harvard and several others also got the idea and began to promulgate it, that this thing was an artificial probe. Well, the fat was in the fire or the cat among the pigeons or whatever other cliche you might want to drag out of the closet because since this really was the first confirmed interstellar visitor by mainstream astronomy and by mainstream science, regardless of its origins, there was a great deal of interest in its composition, where it came from, and there have been all kinds of efforts to try to track the trajectory back to figure out where it came from. What's really weird is that when you do that, it turns out that the solar system literally walked up on, if you can think of hundreds of miles per second orbiting around the center of the galaxy as walking, it literally walked up on this object which was sitting almost motionless relative to the surrounding stars which in and of itself is really kind of weird almost like someone had put it in our path like putting a buoy on the course of a giant ocean liner in the middle of the dark atlantic and waiting for the two objects to to meet um so omua passed the test of being interstellar it certainly passed some of the tests of being artificial but during the time that it came whipping around the sun the only public effort that we could track down was an effort by oddly enough a russian oligarch who lives in northern california and who has a few billion extra dollars to kind of uh, spend on whatever he wants to and he funded a week of listening time at one of the world's premier radio observatories in Greenbank, West Virginia, uh long about December. And the the spec- specifications of the of the program were that if something as small as a cell phone or a smartphone had been broadcasting from a Muamua at its distance from Earth at that time, which was Uh, Well beyond the orbit of Mars and approaching the orbit of Jupiter. I mean, it was really moving fast Um, This radio telescope listening session over about a week several sessions would have picked up the signal Nothing was heard or so we have been told What I found kind of curious if there was serious interest in the artificiality model is that no one under the rubric of Bracewell's original idea which was that such a probe would only respond if it got a message if it got signals if someone actually tried to talk to it no one that i'm aware of either the deep state the military the mainstream international astronomical community amateurs nobody tried to communicate with a muamua as it was zipping past the earth and departing into the far distant dark and i wonder why even now that nobody thought to give it a call so long around last december early uh, late november early december we crafted a enterprise mission effort on the part of ourselves and two very interesting researchers david sarita and jimmy blanchett jimmy had the antenna David had the codes, and so we all agreed that what we would do is to craft a few-minute-long message comprised of sacred geometry, sacred frequencies, uh, fundamental constants, uh, some scanned images like pictograms, kind of like what the Arecibo Observatory sent many years ago under the aegis of Frank Rick and uh, Carl Sagan, and we would beam it using Blanchett's antenna in northern Arizona uh, periodically during uh, the other side of midnight on a Saturday night on February 4th uh, in the direction of Muamua, and we would see what happened if anybody answered the call. Well, obviously, what's happened since has kind of obviated the ancient kind of archaic Bracewell Probe model because no sooner had Blanchett started transmitting. And remember, given that Oumuamua was something like two and a half billion miles away beyond the orbit of Neptune um, at that time on that night and receding at uh, you know tens of miles per second, even as we transmitted, uh, David and I and a few others calculated that it would take almost four hours at the speed of light, the speed of normal radio transmissions for our signal to get to a muamua, And then of course you start the stopwatch running and it takes, if they answered instantly, which likely they would not, um, it would take four hours for the information for a return radio signal to get back. That was the minimum time. Actually, if you figure in different languages, decoding, figuring out the frequencies, deciding what to say, whether to respond, all of those things could have added even more hours, if not days, to the total round trip time. Well, things happened very quickly and very dramatically and totally through the sublight or speed of light model into the uh, wastebasket. Because about two minutes after Blanchett began sending the signals over the course of the next several hours, something like six spacecraft. And the reason we know their spacecraft is because of their behavior and their geometry. He was able to zoom in on the low light level television camera he had mounted and was recording uh, images, video from during the transmission sequence. Over the next several hours, six different spacecraft with different geometries popped into and then disappeared out of normal 3d space directly above the antenna photobombing literally that patch of sky where the antenna was directed with a muamua two and a half billion miles away beyond it in the dark six of them and they would come on they'd hang out for a moment a few frames and they disappear. They didn't track across the sky. They didn't mimic airplanes. They literally popped into 3D space and then disappeared like they had beamed in and out to another dimension, which one could conventionally call hyperspace. And it all happened in two minutes after he started the transmission. Now, we can interpret this, as we will have some fun doing tonight, in a variety of ways. The most interesting and the least uh, hypothesis-laden idea is that the Earth is kind of surrounded by a whole bunch of extraterrestrial civilizations, and they're a lot closer uh, to us than the Muamua. In fact, uh, they're hanging out somewhere between us and the Moon. It takes about one and a quarter light seconds to get a signal to the Moon and back another one and a quarter seconds. in two minutes, they could have been within a sphere, uh, two light minutes in radius. The sun is eight light minutes away, give or take. So they could have been like one eighth of the distance to the sun. And since the sun is 93 million miles away, in other words, they could have been something like 10 million miles out there and went, whoa, who is transmitting tonight with a very powerful signal? Let's go over in. Take a look. That's the really dumb, simple, stupid model. There are much more interesting but more complicated hypotheses to explain uh, what happened that first night. On the radios, remember, we were also listening for return signals on the radio, on the two frequencies, the two sacred frequencies, the two special hyperdimensional frequencies we had chosen to transmit on, which was 144.1 megahertz, that's million cycles per second, and 432 megahertz, million cycles per second. Well, what was very curious is that after Blanchett stopped transmitting, he switched his antenna system to receive. And no time during that experiment Or any time during subsequent experiments did he receive radio signals back on the antenna system and the radio receivers attached to it that was used in the transmission but what he did get and what David Sarita got were reception of transmissions on a handheld radio which is made by the Chinese. Brand name is Bao Fang. It's kind of the handheld portable ham radio choice of a whole bunch of hams all over the planet. It apparently is the best technology. Uh, You can either transmit about eight watts or you can receive, you can do one or the other, or you can do both. Uh, You need a license to transmit, Uh, but receiving obviously it's like any other radio, you just listen. And what David did was to listen and record those signals, and he'll describe how he does this momentarily. And Blanchard did the same thing. Um, and at widely separated points, two points that night on the evening of December 4th on planet Earth, those radios went were alive, not just with the sound of music, but with the sound of actual specific coded radio return signals initiated within minutes of our sending a test transmission to a muamua and obviously because they came in much quicker than the radio time delay between us and the muamua that is one of the reasons why uh we're all kind of in agreement that whatever we're getting on the radios it's not actually A radio transmission it's not electromagnetic radiation something else is triggering the speaker Uh, think of it as a kind of a hyperdimensional uh, tractor beam which vibrates the speaker which in turn because speakers are surrounded by magnets generates in the radio an electromagnetic uh, induction so that's why you can actually plug cables into the radio and feed it into a computer and record this Uh, on a computer but it's not really radio it's something obviously that is traveling many 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 times faster than the stagial speed of light so what could it be and much more important who are we talking to well over the next several weeks ending uh, uh, a couple weeks ago on february 20th for the time being we have been upping our game expanding our experimental envelope and we introduced a whole new factor to the ongoing experiment because when we decided on one of those weekends not to send the signals to a muamua but instead at my suggestion we sent the same signals to the moon one of the interesting things that we got back was a coded series of numbers that instantly led us to a very phenomenal and unique place here on planet earth, i.e. Stonehenge. So then we thought, John Womack and I and a couple other people thought, well, wait a minute. What if we were to take one of these handheld radios and within the environs of the most ancient known astronomical observatory built on Earth and built to track, among other things, the phases and cycles of the moon, which is why I think our moon transmission got Stonehenge in the conversation, we said to ourselves, well, what if we were to transmit to our same unknown receivers, our audience out there, our mysterious people who are obviously listening, and we'll respond if we send them information. What if we use Stonehenge as a kind of a ground plane or a location to do the next phase of the experiment? And so several weeks later, uh, on February 4th, we sent our Intrepid Away Team um, agent, our, uh, our explorer uh, extraordinaire, Maria Wheatley, who we will introduce uh, shortly uh, in the morning in the conversation. And we sent her into Stonehenge and it turned out to be during the height of an extraordinary British hurricane in the middle of the winter with winds topping 120 miles an hour in some sections of the island. And I guess it was 80 miles an hour around Stonehenge when she was able to, um, uh, on a very sleety and rainy afternoon, manage to stand there in the center of the monument and send and receive another set of coded signals. Well, we fast forward the film now, and we've done this now twice because we decided that we would try it one more time. Maria did, she is definitely an intrepid explorer. And um, this time because of this bizarre weather, which has persisted, she was unable, they had closed Stonehenge down. So on the afternoon of the 20th, she was unable to get into the monument But fortunately, when Robin and I were in Guatemala, measuring uh, uh, the uh, sacred sites there, we discovered, particularly around Chichen Itza, that if you are within a few miles of one of these ancient sacred sites information, you can see measurable physical instrumentation respond. You can record the results. Uh, I did this with the Acatron system. So it was on that basis, on that theory, that I said to Maria, well, if you get within, you know, a mile or two of the monument, and you start recording and you start transmitting, um, we should get very interesting data. And that is exactly what occurred, as you're going to hear. So before I bring on our panelists tonight, I want to go through a couple of very important things. Um, if you go to the other side of midnight.com if you are a uh, new listener i was on coast to coast the other night and i presume we have a lot of people from the coast audience who are kind of curious as to what's going on over here at the other side of midnight well if you uh, go to the website click on or you you type in or you um you know input the other side of midnight.com that will take you to our url our homepage. take click on tonight's banner which says rather um, succinctly what we're doing. Open hailing frequencies, continuing Stonehenge ET transmissions, new responses. Click on that then. That will take you to the guest page. Right under the guest page, you will see fast links to items. With my name, John, David, Thomas, and Maria. Click on my name. That will take you down to the uh, section of the uh, page of Radio with Pictures where I have a couple of news items at the top. Those are links to the ongoing uh, progress in the unveiling and commissioning of all the instrumentation of the Webb Space Telescope, which is successfully proceeding to its operational phase somewhere in July of this year. Those first two links take you to the NASA site. The first is a blog uh, describing the latest uh, commissioning results. The second is where is the telescope? gives you a kind of a uh, overview of the instruments and the temperatures and physically where it is around the L2 point and all that. Item number three. Now this is very important because as you're going to hear later on in the morning, one of the things that has happened from the succeeding transmissions, certainly from Maria's first efforts in Stonehenge on the 4th of February, is that we got messages, which when, david decoded them uh gave us a number that at the you know except except to david it was a number that kind of hung there in space with no real connective glue it was 20.6 was the number and david said immediately oh that's the royal cubit that he's figured out from separate research over many years but i you know i'm i'm I, i like multiple evidence multiple lines of Evidence. So I was kind of looking around for something more than that. And about two weeks later, we had the second shoe drop, because as you may know, we're going to talk about this in some level um, later on in the morning. Um, about two weeks after February 4th, the, the um, um, event that kind of rocked the world uh, took over, and that was this extraordinary event in the South Pacific called the Tonga Explosion. We're not quite sure what it was, but it appears to have been some kind of major event that uh, erupted in an unprecedented fashion, equal to tens of megatons of uh, explosive capacity. And it shot a cloud of material up over 34 miles. Well, when we get back into the conversation, in the next couple of minutes i'm going to go through why this is important because now on the transmissions that we recorded from maria's experiments in stonehenge on the 20th david believes we got another heads up for something having to do with belarus and ukraine and the reason that's important is because this was recorded four days before uh russia uh, under the aegis of uh, Vladimir Putin, invaded Ukraine. So one of the important questions of the morning is Is whoever we're talking to somehow out of time, are they literally able to see the future, relay events in the future, straddle different timelines? Are they able to cross time? Are we talking to hyper-dimensional beings that literally live outside or away from our three-dimensional time because now twice certainly the first time with the tonga explosion and now potentially with ukraine and the beginning of this extraordinarily tragic war it's looking it's appearing as if we're getting advanced information beyond time beyond space, beyond any kind of uh, natural proclivity for this kind of information to be, uh, you know, basically available. So is it, in fact, something coming to us from some other dimension as part of our ongoing effort to communicate beyond the Earth, beyond time, beyond our current reality? You're on the other side of Midnight, My name is Richard C. Hoagland. When we return, we'll try for the rest of this morning to bring you some potential answers to that crucial set of questions. We shall return.
1: to it has been of course from this academic scientific side to try to show that from that point of view that even in the in the depths of the of the data that they're presenting they don't have a case they've misrepresented things they've distorted things in the public representations and of course I'm not alone in having come to that conclusion number one there are an increased number of deaths for 2020 but number two these are not caused by COVID-19 they're caused by the biological and psychological effects of the lockdowns themselves because when Mm -hmm. you lock people down when you wreck an economy you get an increase in heart disease, in cancers, you get an increase in what is called deaths of despair. You get suicides, you get drug addiction going up and overdoses killing people. And all of these things put together, by my estimate in my research paper, shows that As many as 600,000 people died in 2020 from just these things, deaths by despair and the effects of the lockdowns and the forced masking. This is Dr. James DeMeo, and I'm speaking to you from the other side of the news. Your program, I must say, compliments you. You're doing a great job in assisting to get around these barriers of censorship and erasure that the mainstream media is doing. Uh, so it's very important, and I congratulate you for the work you're doing. I'm an invited guest on the other side of the news and I found it to be a very enlightening and helpful and wonderful experience being interviewed by three intelligent people.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to this Saturday night, to March 5th of uh, 2022. Here on the other side of midnight in the land of enchantment. Uh, What I'd like to do now is I'd like to introduce our panelists for the evening. Uh, We have many important guests, some of whom have uh, been intrepid explorers like Maria. Um, Others are actually working on uh, um, the analysis of, of what we have Uh, discovered what we have recorded what we have received and we're in the process of trying to figure out what in fact it all means starting with who are we talking to so without further ado let me introduce uh uh my uh guest for the evening um let me stop this okay i'm doing kind of real-time radio here so uh, pardon me folks okay um Our first guest is, of course, Maria Wheatley. Maria is a second generation dowser who was taught European, taught by European master dowsers, her late father and Chinese geomance. She's a leading authority on geodetic earth energies, ley lines and stone circles. She's also an accomplished author of several books on sacred sites and dowsing. And you can read the entire bio there on the website. Um, John Womack uh, began leaving his body in the fall of 1965, answering psychic distress calls from people and spirits. He uh, cut his Samaritan teeth on cosmic books, comic books rather, and cartoons such as Space Ghost, Superman, Batman, etc., etc. In school, he grew accustomed to being the smartest kid in the class and, of course, the most bullied, excelling in geometry, algebra, trigonometry, calculus, physics, and chemistry. Um, he is a, a graduate of high school with a double major in math and science and a minor in English literature. With um, his current background, he is the, uh, uh, he's a, is a premier videographer. He does video editing. He does sound profiling, um, spectral uh, analysis, and um he is actually currently the uh, host and executive producer uh, of a show called the OBE Show, the Out of Body Experience, um, and it's available on Paraflix, Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, etc., etc., etc. And again, you can see his entire bio there on the other side of midnight on the guest page. David Sarita was born in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, August 21, 1961. Um, He is now uh, a very accomplished expert in sacred geometry, sacred frequencies. He has produced and scored music for meditation, frequencies for tuning consciousness. He and his wife uh, had a meditation practice and consciousness course series on audio and video called Quantum Regenesis. And uh, I kind of roped him into this because... It turns out that an awful lot of the messaging seems to fall within his Bailiwick and with his area of professional experience. He also designs and makes harmonic field transmitters. And I think we're going to have him describe what a harmonic field transmitter is. Um, Thomas Mathers, AKA James Teige is a Grammy nominated musician and a fervent futurist with keen interest in space and technology, global politics, meditation, metaphysics, sacred frequencies and geometry, ancient sculptures, and exopolitics. Over the last 20 years, James has traveled to over 50 countries, sharing his music and ideas around the world with an honest, logical, and adventurous passion for the truth. He has visited many of the sacred ancient sites on multiple continents and has become a well-informed and proud generalist, bridging concepts, ideas, and theories across many disciplines and areas of research, extending from the physics of reality into what we're all trying to figure out tonight, more of the unknown. And last but not least, my dear friend and colleague Ron Gerbron, a proudly uncredentialed polymath with a deep interest in the study of archaeology, especially Martian archaeology Um, throughout he actually attended both uh, Stanford and Berkeley University of California Berkeley simultaneously before he gave up on academia to constraining and left to travel on many continents overseas and throughout all that time he focused his core attention on the metrology of our paleo history, particularly that on other planets, especially uh, looking into the implications of all the ruins that for the last 50 years uh, NASA has been quietly discovering and not telling us about on Mars. So without further ado, welcome everyone to The Other Side of Midnight.
2: Hi, Richard. Hi, David. Was incredible presentation you're leading with so meticulous, such incredibly fine details that I really appreciate. Well,
0: thank you. We have a lot of new people who are listening or obviously saying themselves, what in the world are they talking about? Mm -hmm. So by the way, I, I, I made one mistake. The messaging that we sent on the Christmas weekend with Jimmy's antenna was the messaging that contained the codes of Tonga. Maria's took place on the 4th of February from Stonehenge, her first foray there. And the message the tongue itself actually exploded on January fifteenth so I pardon everyone for leading them down a blind canyon i'm I'm doing this all from memory not not from notes and there's been so much going on it's like those old t v programs where they said, "Follow the bouncing ball." The problem is that we have an entire you know uh, coterie of tennis players all bouncing balls all over the court simultaneously. <laughs> And following any one ball, any one time is just a bit difficult. So before we get into anything, I want to introduce Maria. Maria, are you with us?
3: Yes. There you are.
0: Okay. This is our intrepid, what should we call you? We should think of a name because archaeologist is so kind of banal. You know, she's kind of like a singular member of the Enterprise Away team that we send into Stonehenge now twice to, to do something and see if we can open hailing frequencies. And boy, have we ever. So what I'd like you to do is to walk us through everything that happened on the morning and afternoon of the 20th as you attempted to transmit for the second time from the center of Stonehenge.
4: Yes, well on the 20th like you said in the introduction Richard the, the weather was very inclement and it, there was very high strong winds and also in one of the uh, pictures that I sent in I've shown how the Salisbury plain looked Stonehenge is on the edge of the Salisbury plain and it was on high alert so red flags were flying everywhere which means you can't turn at a particular angle if you see a red flag wait,
5: wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. when you say red flag in other words, there are British military, uh, MOD, you know, Ministry of Defence installations all over the Salisbury Plain, and they've kind of crowded out Stonehenge, which sits kind of in a corner. And you, if, if there's some kind of an alert or tests or operations from some of these military installations, they literally kind of guide you around, and sometimes you can't even get in.
4: So if you imagine that surrounding Stonehenge, 360 degrees, there are military establishments north, south, east, west, everywhere, uh, including our largest nuclear biological center on Porton Down. So that's the the stance around it. But we must remember that the Salisbury Plain and Stonehenge itself is the largest and megalithic, megalithic capital in the British Isles, on the Sorcery Plain alone there's 2,000 monuments just on that area alone, 26 miles by 26 miles. So it's absolutely enormous, the, 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 uh, the archaeology and the unusual burials there to say the least. So I managed to get into an area in between two military establishments, One's called Lark Hill and the other one's called Rolleston and I was uh, parked just up the, uh, the the lane on the edge of the Salisbury Plain by Rolleston and that's also close to a Neolithic site dating back about 6,000 years ago called Robin Hood's Ball and Robin Hood's Ball is a causeway enclosure which is a bit like a henge monument, that's a ditch and a bank but with gaps in it and that's 6,000 years old and that, the red flag saying you can't turn right was flying right by that place. So that was my first uh, transmission, and I'm now about sort of one and a half miles away from Stonehenge. That was the first uh, transmission, which uh, which I managed to uh, put out, Uh, but then the military police asked me to move on. So uh, after the transmission, I then had to drive closer to Stonehenge and up a trackway, which is literally parallel to the monument, and the only trackway left that the general public can get near Stonehenge, and English Heritage want to close that off. Mm. So we're, we're hoping very much that does not get closed off at all. So I managed to get very close to Stonehenge itself, and uh, did another transmission from there as well. And all the time I was recording on another device uh, so that uh, we could have the, have the recordings. But when I got to to Stonehenge, it was very strange because you used to see a lot of people at Stonehenge at, at the weekend, and it was you know nobody was there apart from a few security guards, and it had a a kind of very peaceful. Uh, energy about it. So it, Stonehenge felt quite different because normally it's a very powerful place that can literally take you somewhere, give you a download. It's, it's a high, high frequency place and it seemed to be quite calm on that day compared to, to other days and I've been visit, visiting the monument for nearly 30 years so I know Stonehenge you know, very very well.
0: Would you say this was maybe attributable to the lack of tourists?
4: That, uh, yes, I think that could be one part of it. But Stonehenge itself, you know, acts as Stonehenge with or with, without people. And it seemed to be, sometimes it goes into like high frequency mode, then it can drop down a little bit. As, as most stone circles and, and monuments do, they have their own cycles within cycles.
0: So they're responding to the background changes in our model of the hyperdimensional physics.
4: Yes, uh, I think that they do very much so.
0: So when we bring Thomas on, I'm going to have him compare your uh, recordings from this this effort on the 20th to your early uh, transmission recordings on the 4th, because your being more distant uh, seemed to really help in terms of being able to detect signals, as opposed to a kind of an enormous rush. Of almost overwhelming energies and uh, when when Tom comes on I will I will have him uh, uh, describe that so it was it was windy very very windy you're in your car you don't even you're not even able to get outside the car right to do all this
4: no because the wind was I mean it was horrendous in fact nobody would go with me my friend said we're (laughs) not going out in that that wind Maria the trees were coming down To get there and back was really something. I mean, I asked uh, a couple of uh, guys I know, and they said, we're staying in. You're crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we kind of know that, but that's what makes you so lovable, (laughs) because you're crazy like a fox. I mean, boy, talk about intrepid. Um, Okay, so let me move over to David, because um, what I find really interesting is we've got three separate analysts who are looking at this data through three separate lenses and they don't talk to each other before they get their results and then they talk to each other and compare notes and we post uh, as much as we can on on the site to fit within the you know time frame of the program and obviously this is why we're going to be doing this in two parts part one tonight and part two tomorrow night because we have a lot of detail to talk about but what's so interesting from your responses david is that you told me earlier in the week and when you had a chance to look, and I should also say we had other people with their radios, same model radio, wired into recorders or, you know, being recorded on smartphones so that when Maria transmitted from Stonehenge, we would see if this ancient sacred site network all over the planet, places that we could cover... Uh, would respond with some kind of a resonance. In other words, whether we would get signals. And then we had some people like myself who I don't think I'm near a sacred site. I'm about 90 miles from Chaco Canyon, but there's a caveat because I'm only uh, maybe four four or five miles from the Sandia Peaks. And up there, there appear to be some very ancient uh, geometric structures that actually look as if they had been made by some very ancient, now totally vanished civilization many, many, many years ago. And when we get to John's research, we're gonna talk about uh, another area on the North American continent where something similar appears to have taken place. And so I, I can't really say categorically that I'm not within the field of an ancient solid state amplifying technology i.e. a sacred site made of stone, you know, created by, you know, a long vanished culture, and that's not helping me amplify and record what I'm getting on the uh, radio here. But be that as it may, we've got David, uh, who is in uh, Eastern British Columbia. Uh, We've got me down here in the land of enchantment, not far from um, um, the Sandias. We've got we're going to have them on the show tomorrow night. Dennis Stone was recording at America's Stonehenge. And then a, a new member of our team, uh, a, a longtime friend of Maria's, who goes by the handle raw and he will describe to us how we got that nickname. He was recording at the site of an ancient balanced rock in Upper New York State, and he got some very interesting results. Uh, Keith was recording, Keith Morgan who is with us, uh, I forgot to introduce him at the top of the show, because he's with us every show. He's our uh, uh, IT and computer expert and signals guy, because he's worked with audio and radio for decades when he worked with ABC News and Ted Koppel. He recorded on his radio in Crofton, Maryland, which is many miles from downtown Washington, D.C., and the active, incredibly modern Uh, hyperdimensional structure known as the Washington Monument he recorded uh, during um, uh, Maria's explorations separately there outside of DC and has sent those to the analysts so hopefully we'll be able to report on his results either tomorrow or probably next week because this is an ongoing deepening exercise and we're certainly hoping uh, among our listening audience if there are people out there with cryptographic backgrounds, with signal analysis backgrounds, with uh, people who write code, who um, develop algorithms that can look through a whole bunch of transmissions and look for commonalities and patterns, we would appreciate your input absolutely um, starting you know tomorrow morning, because we need more people with more creative abilities to focus on some extraordinary responses and as um as uh, uh you know the what's his name glenn eastwood said in dirty harry a man has got to know his limitations well our limitations are funding and expertise and we need more of both so if you go to the other side of midnight and you want to donate something to this ongoing effort it would be very appreciated so let me now turn to david Because, David, I want you to describe your mode of analysis and then some of the really, to me, hot-button things you got from your first cut looking at Maria's transmissions as she recorded them uh, right outside the monument uh, two Sundays ago.
2: So, Maria, what was your uh, transmission frequency, or did you use 432 and 144.1 on this on this thir- on the 20th of February
0: uh
4: 432
2: okay so something incredible has happened on my radio ever since you transmitted my radio it's i've had this radio for nine months and and eight or nine months and it has never stopped transmitting at 432 since you transmitted in fact i'll turn on right now and you'll this is 432 And it's constant. And inside of that apparent squelch are numbers. And I'm going to kind of go backwards here because the the invasion of of Ukraine um, by Russia was February 24th. It's a miracle that you were transmitting four days before. And what happened on the 26th of February, I I sent this message out to you, Maria, Keith, and, and Richard. I keep getting this number on my frequency meter 1697.62, which happens to be the square root of the square of two royal cubits. And, and, and again, two royal cubits is found in over 16 places in the Great Pyramid. And I thought, why do they keep pointing me to the Great Pyramid, to the Great Pyramid? What does the Great Pyramid have to do with Stonehenge? Now, my new data from your, from the analysis of your frequencies, Maria, there's one section of the recording where I've got my meter in front of, in front of the recording, and I keep seeing-
0: So David, David, hang on, hang on. For people who are new to this, you gotta start from square one.
2: How are you analyzing the signals? Be okay, the way I analyze the signals, you go to the other side of midnight.com. And scroll down to David's item.
0: Or you can go-tons. click on David under fast links.
2: Okay, so let me just show you an example, and and I want you to go to item two. And this is so shocking. Click on item two. This is a new breakthrough in in our analysis method. And the the when you oh, click on item two. Oh my god. Yeah, it's mind blowing. Oh so, my god, David. This. See, why did I keep getting? So the number on the bottom left, twenty nine point nine seven nine nine, it it was solid on Maria when I was playing her frequencies. it I've never seen my meter do this. It stayed there for a solid ten or fifteen seconds, whereas normally the numbers are jumping around all over the place.
0: So they're flickering past, and you have so to you, 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 you have, you have has, to you have to video record them, play it frame right. by frame to catch these numbers
2: exactly what i'm doing so i take my video camera on my ipad in front of my phone which is running frequency meter pro accurate to two decimals and i'm putting my my frequency meter in front of my speakers playing back maria's recording now the fact that i got the great pyramid again and again and again and i said why is it that i keep getting the great pyramid and I realized. No, wait, wait, wait! The,
0: you, you you made a leap. You got to connect with people that may not see the graph. Not everybody is on a computer or on a phone that can look okay, at this. Okay,
2: so what shows up on my meter are the numbers for the north latitude of the Great Pyramid. Now I've seen these numbers before, and and they they are the same as the speed of light in metric in kilometers per second all you have to do is move your decimal over because the number you're seeing the decimal is is not in the correct position that's they're the same numbers so it's noted that when you go onto google earth you can do this right now and you you switch your degrees minutes and seconds to digital 10 base and the location of the great pyramid of egypt to a t is 29 Point nine seven nine nine is the north face of the Great Pyramid. Precise. But, but, but,
0: 29.9799 degrees north latitude.
2: Is, is the exact north latitude of the Great Pyramid. Notice that the Great Pyramids, I want you to see it in a completely different way. And this is the insight that came to me. Think of the eye of Ra and the eye of Horus. Think of the Great Pyramid. Literally, the great seal of the United States on the back of the $1 bill is (laughs) is the eye above the pyramid. Mm -hmm. Now, think of it as an electronic eye because it's pointing straight into Kiev and and the entire conflict like it's reading the whole thing.
0: Well, hang on. We we, we made a leap here because if you compare the decimal latitude of the Great Pyramid, 29.9799 degrees instead of reading you know seconds and minutes of arc yeah you you basically take it as a as a decimal Mm 29.9799 then you look at David's inset photo on the google map right beside it and that number that hung out for several seconds 10 15 20 seconds 299799 obviously The frequency was telling you, screaming at you, the Great Pyramid.
2: Yes. So now think of the way radar works. So if I want to take a radar reading of how far a jet is from my radar dish, because radar travels at the speed of light and it bounces back, it'll tell me how far away it is. Notice the image on the right meter reading from Maria's data, which follows the reading on the left is the exact distance in kilometers between the Great Pyramid and the Zafar-Fariza nuclear power plant.
5: <laughs>
0: what? Yeah,
2: 1906. I did this on Google Earth, so I got right in there, and I, I, I on Google Earth, I, I typed in the Zafar-Fariza nuclear power plant, and then I put my marker there and dragged myself back to the apex of the Great Pyramid of Egypt, and it is exact. Wow. So what that, and of course, this is before. This is four in,
0: days before Putin has entered the country.
2: But four days before he entered the country, and again, it's almost and
0: weeks like, before. You know, it's uh, what two weeks, give or take, before he actually had troops enter the grounds of of, of that nuclear plant a couple nights ago.
2: Yeah. Right. So. I'm seeing the Great Pyramid a whole other way now because I found another number, but I can't give this number out because I got another number in Maria's data. And if I add it to the location of the Great Pyramid, it takes me somewhere else in the battlefield, and I won't give this location out. And the fact that I got two, and I'm not even through all her numbers yet. Wait wait, wait Hang
0: out. on. You lost me. Why won't, why won't you give this number out?
2: Because it's too secure. It has to do with a very sensitive military operation. I'm not going to give it out. Oh, okay. All Come I on. can tell you is, okay, let's go back to this. Now go to my item one. Okay. Click on item one. Now this is taking, these are numbers that if you look at the meter reading in the middle, you're going to see the Zephyr nuclear power plant in the little red icon. And and you're going to see these are Latin longs in two different readings. 47.4665 and 34.4923 is the square root of the numbers you see on my meter readings coming out of Maria's Stonehenge response. So 225307, the square root is 4746. So those Latin longs. Put me where my white dot is. And what I'm, hype, I'm, what I'm saying is that is probably the location prior to the attack of the nuclear power plant where Putin set up his troops to get uh, ready to invade.
0: Well, if I remember the video and where the tracer shells were coming from, they were coming from the southwest like from your location, right? right. Toward, so they, they would
2: have moved to, from this. They would have had an encampment. Oh, guys, we loop out a break.
6: Okay, okay,
0: I'm, 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 I'm. Okay. <laughs> Gosh.
2: Okay, let's do the break, and then, and then I'll continue when we get back. Because that's my
0: Excellent. This is absolutely mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. You know, it's kind of like the only. The only thing you can say. so <laughs> as as we're as we're you know recurringly looking at these messages, we're looking at two weeks' warning on Tonga. we'll talk about that in some detail in a few minutes. and now we're looking at about two weeks warning on the Russian invasion of this major nuclear plant and a four day warning on the invasion Ukraine? Who is talking to us out of time and trying to give us a heads up about events which are going to change the world? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C.
2: Hoagland. We shall return.
5: other side of Midnight.com.
3: Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hudlands and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. The other side of midnight.com.
5: Welcome
0: back, everyone, on this Saturday night, March 5th, 2022. As you can tell, the reason that A lot of us are so captivated by the responses we're getting is because the responses are literally off the edge of the paper if you put a list of items 1 to 10 that you'd expect from an attempted ET transmission and reception experiment you would not expect reception weeks ahead of time that would predict in the numbers two major catalytic events on planet Earth within literally weeks and we have the data and the data is real if we can understand why they're sending this to us what we can do about it and who we're talking to Okay David, please continue.
2: Okay, so let's go back to my item 1 because previously to my new discovery, which is the seeing the great pyramid as the eye the all-seeing eye and think of each slope, so the north slope of the great pyramid, the north face, which is where the entrance is, is facing straight up. If I go straight straight up, I just pass I'll pass right through the right of Kiev. And then if I go on the east face or the west face or the south face of the pyramid, think of it as a kind of photosensitive diode um, transmitter receiver because it, it makes no sense to me how precise this data is. So my previous method of decryption of numbers was taking square roots and cube roots and, and you know just basic forms of encryption the, uh, on the numbers appearing on my frequency meter in response to the chirping, or, or even what appears to be background static, coming in on the radios. So, so what re, what really amazed me again is that when I turned my radio on here after Maria's second transmission, I got locations all over Ukraine, and it was just Ukraine, and it was it was also the the the, the border of some of the neighboring countries. But I've been watching my radio every night give me Latin longs all over Ukraine. But then when you asked me, Richard, to just analyze Maria's data, I was so shocked first <laughs> to see this little white spot show up where where you can imagine, you know, his troops coming in From the South, from the Black Sea, maybe parking their ships and then moving their way up and and establishing a base camp where my white dot is. But my item two is so precise, if you understand how radar returns work at the speed of white, that the – the distance between the north face of the Great Pyramid and the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Remember, this is the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. And believe me, I know nuclear power plants inside out because I worked for major nuclear physicists and nuclear scientists on nuclear fusion and nuclear engineering. I knew Glenn Seaborg, who chaired the Atomic Energy Commission under Kennedy, Johnson, and Nixon. And we, we also knew... MIT um, scientists um, who were nuclear power plant engineers. So I know how these things work. And for the, first of all, they're supposed to be able to survive the impact of the 747 without even phasing the concrete dome structure of the plant. But we don't know if they could withstand a 7,000-mile-an-hour Russian Zircon missile, which Putin so far has not used. But, but all that aside... This data is coming in um, four days before the first day of the invasion. So that would mean how did the pyramid – I'm starting to believe that where we're getting our data from is actually the pyramid. And the reason I believe that is it keeps sending me pyramid numbers, like when it sent me this week. Well, when you say from the
0: pyramid, see, I would look at the pyramid as a transducer. That it was built to be a communications device between 3D reality and a hyperdimensional reality. It's a huge. All the exactly. pyramids are huge machines, and I've measured other pyramids and Stonehenge and other sacred sites with the Akatron, and I know <clears throat> that these energies are changing the physical constants, like there is this bleed through between a higher dimensional reality and 3D reality. So I would not say the pyramid is doing it. I would say the pyramid is a focal point relay for whatever intelligence is talking to us, which I think, given the fact that we're looking at things out of time and anticipating by weeks in terrestrial metrology, it's, it's literally out of time and trying to give us a heads up for critical events that are going to change the history of the planet, nothing
2: less. Well, if you look at like the description, the Eye of Ra is, is is a being in ancient Egyptian mythology that functions as a feminine counterpart to the sun god Ra and a violent force that, that subdues his enemies. The Eye is an extension of Ra's power, and then you go into to the idea of. This is in a really good description of this. I actually found this on Wikipedia that one of the eyes of Horus, which is similar to the eye of Ra. So Ra is the chief sun god in Egyptian mythology, right? So Horus is the son of, of Isis. So Horus's is eye, his Osiris. left eye is equated to the moon and his right eye is equated with the sun. And of course, Stonehenge is a lunar calendar, mm. and would 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 that mean the pyramid is a solar, um, you know, uh, reflector? So, how is how am I getting data like this? Why, you know, like on the 26th of of February, I got the square of two royal cubits multiple times on my radio here. Plus, I was getting locations all over the battlefield in the Ukraine. I mean right I mean I've I've got data I've got numbers that take me right into the middle of Kiev, I mean the city. Right. So that means why are I getting numbers all over the frickin' planet? Why is it all weak? I can turn my radio on and put my meter in front of it and get Latin longs all over this field, this theater of war. And that means it's like the the pyramid is acting as the eye of Horus or the eye of Ra, and it's collecting data. And you're right. A higher dimensional perspective would be the sun and or the moon itself if it's an intelligentsia that is is a living system. But somehow it's using that as a reflective focal point because when I look on my item two, this number, 197637, shows up after... the the 29.9799 number, and what prompted me to do this was I'm saying, why do they keep giving me pyramid numbers? And I just decided to measure the distance between the power plant and the pyramid. And (laughs) I did this multiple times because I couldn't believe it when I got my number, and my number – is accurate to 99.99%, by the way. So and, – and I don't know how accurate this measuring tool – so if you go on Google Earth
0: – It's very accurate. It's certainly – There's a measuring
2: tool. It's certainly so, within
0: two significant figures.
2: Right. So I can zoom right in on the power plant, and there's multiple domes on that power plant. It's got like – I mean, I don't have it right in front of me zoomed in. But I can tell you, it, it, it is one of the biggest nuclear power plants. I mean, I've been inside of nuclear power plants. I, I mean, I know how they work. And
0: Well, it they, supplies uh, about a quarter of Ukraine's total energy. Now, yeah, and so when, 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 like, hang on, hang on. When, when, when Georgia joined us in the third hour, you know we're going to spend the first two hours looking at data and looking at decoding and all that. Third hour, we're going to talk about interpretation. What the hell is going on? and what can it mean in the big big picture and i've done some thinking about putin and ukrainian nuclear reactors nato and all that i think this is why this is a focal point of intense interest including whomever we're talking to
2: yeah so for people who don't know in your audience i'm i'm ukrainian Sarita just means wednesday in 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 ukrainian my my grandparents on my father's side are are both pure ukrainians and and probably ukrainian jews who turn to catholics to hide from the 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 jewish persecution under stalin and my on my mother's side i'm english and french and irish and all that stuff so i i know a lot about the ukraine through through family but we don't have to go into the politics so much as i'm really blown away by this richard because i like i said i got a second location In Maria's data, this isn't in my separate data on my radio. In Maria's data, there's another distance between the pyramid and another very profound target in this theater of war. And that that target needs to be protected, in my opinion. I could tell you off-air, Richard, what it is, but it showed up on on the frequency meter as well. So that means I have a whole new set of data analysis to do which is looking at my numbers and measuring points off the Great Pyramid to an event or something. Well,
0: the next thing in your research I would expect in the next week you'll be able to do is look at the location of Ukraine's other uh, power, nuclear power plants because nuclear energy supplies about half of Ukraine's total uh, electrical uh, uh, energy budget and see if they fall out of the data the way this one did.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea, and I know it's a it's a. I mean, okay, I want to very... I
0: want to come back to some other decoding, but let I, I'd like to go to John because I want to broaden our focus. Uh, John, you and I've discussed about other examples of this kind of communication, which, frankly, in in the uh, major media, uh, has been popularized as how you would talk to aliens or how you would talk to someone who's not as as michael hill said not from
7: here yes yeah we have close encounters you like to use that a lot and um maria's stonehenge recording reminded me of close encounters uh toward the end there the the humans are playing and then the aliens go But, uh, yeah, I had just another um, psychic psychic synchronicity or metaphysical message, whatever you want to call it. All humans get these. You just have to be open to them. Um, I started working uh, on Balanced Rock last summer after Keith showed some images. But uh, I've got about 200 hours into this and collected 30 hours of footage from people visiting the the There are several
0: features on Earth called Balanced Rocks. Because there's a lot of rocks that are balanced. Oh, okay. Yeah. And this is this is a one in Utah, and the one that Ra, uh, Ralph uh, Maria's friend, is going to talk about tonight, tomorrow night is in Upper New York State, and it's not exactly balanced. It's sitting on three other rocks, kind of like a tripod. And how it got there, and who put it there, and is it a natural erosional event? I mean, these are all questions I'm going to ask Ra tomorrow night. But you're talking about the ones in uh, Utah.
7: In the Utah swell, yes. It's right next to Canyon Land State Park, which is where the monolith appeared a couple years ago. So this is in a small area. And I've been visiting the West since I was a boy, and I always had the same feeling that Keith did, that there, there's all these monuments along the Colorado River. And I actually set my book, um, Old Souls, is set up in Montana where I say that the Martians escaped Mars and they landed in Montana long ago. And uh, so it was, this was a couple of weeks I get up from a nap and I, I sit down and put on the TV. I don't watch much TV, but it comes on to uh, the comet TV and it's uh, a scene from a movie I saw like 20 years ago at the theater, mission to Mars. And, there is oh the, the one the, the one the one
0: by de palma
7: by de palma brian de
0: palma the brother of the physicist the hyperdimensional physicist that i was good friends with bruce de palma who is uh no longer with us unfortunately
7: yeah so it was just another i watched that scene i'm like geez that's just what we're doing and they show the, the alien mother and uh like that's goes right with my hypothesis that Utah it's not erosion there's nothing balanced this was all type two civilization from Mars there's several races of Martians depicted in all these monuments Uh, the monuments go on for hundreds of square miles and then all up the uh, Rocky Mountains up into Canada so this is a, a huge deal but I'm just focusing right now on the Utah swell but um Richard, I didn't know about you. Said there was a backstory to Brian De Palma, and I I don't know anything about that. Do you want to?
0: Well, if Brian De Palma apparently uh, convinced NASA to be a technical uh, institutional advisor to his movie Mission to Mars, and the idea was kind of put out there, the the trailer, whatever is that this is gonna be a hyper-realistic movie about NASA's plans to go to Mars, land on Mars, land habitats, send the crew to rendezvous with the habitats, do research and all that. And instead, it turns out that they have to go and rescue a previous mission, which has disappeared under very bizarre circumstances. So NASA was heavily involved in the uh, in the you know planning and development and shooting of a lot of mission to Mars. And then like on the eve of the premiere, the uh, Palma leaves the United States because normally the way these things work is the um, uh, producer and director do a whole dog and pony show on television. They visit all the networks. They visit, you know, uh, Hollywood magazines and, you know, uh, columnists, and they basically showcase the movie. Uh, you know, the stars do the same thing and it's basically publicity that the studio needs to get audiences into the seats in the theaters, right? Just before the movie's going to premiere, De Palma splits for France and does not come back for years. And when NASA is asked about, Formally, its participation in the shooting of the film, NASA pretends, according to their official public relations spokespersons, that they had zero involvement with the film, even though it's on record that they were heavily involved in helping him with all kinds of shooting and technologies and technical plans and rocket ship designs and all that. So nobody wanted to discuss Brian De Palma's movie, Mission to Mars. Why? Because the central focus of the mission is a visit to Sidonia and going into the face on Mars and discovering that it's a monument to an ancient Martian race that, after a catastrophe on Mars, came to Earth, seeded the Earth with organisms including the, what would develop into the human race. And, and that's
7: what the Utah Swell seems to be, a monument to some huge event with all of these animals and tons of monuments to these Martians. I believe they are Martians. And it, I think that's what we're looking at.
0: Which is why this bizarre monolith you know, a couple of years ago, suddenly appearing, being very hyperdimensional, being tetrahedral, being you know a two-dimensional version of a 3D tetrahedron located in a canyon with all kinds of extraordinary images, three-dimensional images, all over the walls that uh, Keith, you know, first noticed and pointed out to me, and then I took the monument seriously and figured out the numbers. And again, it was it was basically an ET message in a three dimensional artifact on the surface of this planet, just like Sidonia, is a mathematical message on the surface of Mars, surrounding a face-like epigee, which is over a mile uh, in, in length and uh, 1,500 feet high. So there appears to be this connection between mathematics and communication, and why are we all here? And are we in fact talking to the descendants of our own ancient progenitors or ancestors and are we talking not just between places in 3d in the solar system and beyond but are we talking to somewhere beyond time and space in a hyper dimension that can see the future and is wanting to somehow help us avoid what might be coming
7: and as you can see in my image four There are many alignments, uh, solar alignments. I imagine there are probably lunar alignments, too, but I I can't figure out how to use Google Earth yet to to chart the lunar alignments. But there are obvious solar alignments, um, especially with uh, Delicate Arch, which, which is just north of Balanced Rock here. Um, very Indiana Jones kind of, the sun coming up and shining and hitting the thing and it reflects down on it and the thing opens I mean, it's, it's all, it, it's Indiana Jones squared
0: Okay, moving on to our current research which is the signals themselves, where did you dive in?
7: I dove in because after listening to these signals for a while, you begin to um, isolate the sounds, and I isolated I five or six sounds, and they're, they seem to be coming from the radio. The computer beeps, a klaxon sample I have there, metronome projector. This is just names I'm applying to these sounds. Now, are these um, in Maria's recordings? Good question. Um, Maria's recordings confirmed the sounds, but they were much louder and the quiet tones were much quieter. The first thing I noticed about...
0: No, 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 no. Hearing... I'm asking what what your source data is. Where are you... The source You're...
7: data is from your recordings. From oh, December oh, well, that's 4th, really important. Okay. December 25th. I mean, I, there's a lot of hours. And so you start hearing these different elements. And, uh, you know, like the other week, I, we had frequency mode and, you know... Um, so we're hearing these radio sounds, and I, I think it would behoove us to contact, like I could contact the radio manufacturer, say, hey, we're getting this, and Keith, because last night I was talking to Keith uh, on a Skype call, and I, I noticed there's a two-tone, two tones playing in the background that keep repeating, and she says, and it just keeps repeating, and I said, Keith, what is that sound, and um I had my speakers up a bit loud. It's kind of irritating after a while. And, and he says that's from uh, his USB headset, and he hears that in the background. I, I think it would be cool if he contacted that manufacturer, and then we could compare their responses and just apply it to our analysis to see, is it – the chirps coming in that is activating the electronics in the radio and causing these sounds to play, or is it something in the radio? So I just want to either eliminate or confirm, or, you know, why are we getting these radio sounds? that kind of muddy up what we're doing. You know, we don't need those sounds. We want to hear the chirps. So that's where I am. Um And then when I got Maria's recording, first thing I noticed was, The lack of background noise, it's just super quiet. It's like silent during the pauses, whereas your recordings, Richard, you know, there's this background hiss. And I noticed the attack um, for tomorrow night, I have some attack and decay comparisons, which is the sound leading up to the chirp and the chirp fading out is the decay and you on your recordings, Richard, you have a specific you know there's a pattern in the attack and decay of the chirps, and then you look at Maria's recording, and aside from being like turned up to eleven, you know this one goes up to eleven uh, <laughs> The attack and decay is microseconds, it's like one thousand of a second it's so short compared to the long attack and decay of your recordings, Richard, hers, it's just so quick and loud, like, boom, you know, they're so incredibly amplified through Stonehenge. So um, very interesting. Those were the first kind of things I noticed. Okay.
6: okay
0: we are, button? we are at the bottom of the hour. Uh, pause there. Cause when we come back, we're going to go to Thomas Mathers and Thomas has got some really fascinating new data and I guarantee you it's going to blow your mind. I mean all of this blows my mind because there were people before we started all this that said, eh you won't get anything and you know you won't be able to interpret it and what to me is important is this is convergent. We're looking at data which is converging. And we'll explain what we mean by that when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We're discussing our ongoing experiments in ET communication. And I use that term broadly because anything uh, beyond the Earth's reference frame, even if it is hyperdimensional, would by, be by definition extraterrestrial. We shall return. everyone to the other side of midnight for this saturday night grating in the next half hour into sunday morning here on the land uh, on the other side of midnight in the land of enchantment um i want to turn now to thomas mathers thomas has a background as a uh, an award-winning uh producer he has led bands he has traveled the world he has experienced the technologies of ancient sacred sites and the uh non-technological human experience of being in these places and resonating with them as a kind of a human antenna system and he's got some pretty interesting results so uh, without further ado Thomas it's your turn in the circle hello good evening Um, or good morning
8: (laughs) good evening Yeah, so I thought um, sort of an interesting way to sort of start this before I jump into kind of the items would be to uh, actually explain to people what was sent out. Um, So as we as the project's been progressing and as we've been putting out the subsequent transmissions, um, you know, we've been taking some of the information that we're receiving and then, you know, kind of you know, trying to modify and sort of evolve the signal that's going out. Um, so this last, uh, this last round, uh, we've, um, yeah, so the, the, the Stonehenge transmissions basically have been uh, some different types of uh, uh, sound frequencies, um, um, uh, tones and, and things um, using sine waves. Um, you know, and the, the reasoning and basis behind this was um, this is a way for us to be able to, in a very simple way, be able to send pretty uh, accurate numbers, um, mathematical ratios, um, and encode it into the into the signal that's going out. Um,
0: and initially, we so sent on two frequencies, one forty four point one megahertz and four thirty two, and we decided on this this session, this second Stonehenge foray. Uh, to limit it basically to 432.
8: Yeah, so I think I, I think there seemed to just kind of be a little bit more um, energy and response around the 432 this time around, um, and certainly in the in, certainly in the data that we've received back, that seems to have been a good uh, good decision. But back to the signal that's gone out. Uh, the signal that Maria broadcasted contained sort of uh, ten uh, actually this it was nine uh, nine core elements here um, so the first element was basically shooting out the seven sacred frequencies. Um, this is related to the different uh, frequencies uh, connected to different chakras, and then that led into. Uh, Stonehenge coordinates and we repeated that three times and then following that was the golden ratio and then following that was pi which keep that kind of in mind because that is, is something that comes back to us and uh, number five is the e constant and uh, number six is the square root of three uh, the seventh component is the pyramid of Giza coordinates uh, which is repeated three times uh, with two different octaves in the tone. Uh, and then the number eight was we incorporated this time around uh, Mars's diameter and pi. So again, we're looking at pi. And and then finally, uh, the Morse code alphabet. And the reason behind that is... Um, Uh, So in in the last couple of weeks, we've taken some of these rhythmic, um, I guess, components to the transmissions that we've received and uh, not necessarily thinking that there's going to be some super accurate structure in terms of of uh, us receiving Morse code, but it was really sort of done initially as an attempt to be able to analyze the sound data in a different way and see if we're finding any kind of repeating pattern um, the general the general sort of thing that we've been able to see here is that the these the, the radios on these frequencies when they're kind of listening normally tend to sort of vary sort of behavior and uh, the, the their behavior varies um, but a lot of the time they tend to be very quiet and then sort of during the lead ups and then after a uh, uh, a transmission goes out. This is where the activity really starts, kind of getting more energetic, um, which is, you know, definitely indicative that we're tapping into something. Now, um, you know, one of the big takeaways from the experiment um, that we've been able to see right now is that there definitely is a correlation to the type of behavior of the radios when these transmissions are going out. And this does not seem to be necessarily affected by uh, geography. Um, there definitely seems to be a, uh, an effect on the amplitude of the transmission that's coming back, um, the resolution, which I'll kind of get to when, we, when I start going through some of the, uh, the items. Um, this is kind of my interpretation, like the resolution of the transmission that's coming back. Um, but the behavior of the radios has been shown to to be consistent. So we're triggering some type of an event. Um, no matter what ends up happening or any other takeaways from, from this, as far as I'm concerned, that that's, you know, a, it's a success um, for us in terms of the experiment. So uh, going into the items, I mean, what I wanted to do and I think uh, I'm just scrolling over to uh, my items here. So, so I've got a couple of pictures that people can go to. And again, uh, for listen, listeners out there, you can go to the other side of midnight.com uh, and go to tonight's show. And um, if you if you scroll down to uh, to the hyperlink uh, for Thomas's items, you'll be able to follow along and actually see some of the images here.
0: Well, you can also click on fast links, which is under the banner. Okay. Of- on the guest page that will take you directly to Thomas's section.
8: Exactly. So, so there was, um, this time around, uh, I guess, where, where do we begin here? When we compare what we received, uh, and what Maria was, was recording from the first Stonehenge uh, transmission attempt, uh, where there seemed to have been some interesting kind of behavior, in terms of battery drainage, um, you know what we did, what we were able to analyze, okay, in the audio, the one um, sort of characteristic that we could, um, I guess, sort of give give to it was that it was very intense. Um, the first Stonehenge transmission, when she was, you know, right in the heart of it. Uh, what we were receiving was just like, I mean, it sounded like being in like a wind tunnel or something. It was very bizarre. There was kind of like almost a helicopter noise, you know, swirling, big swirling, but everything was extremely energetic. Um, It was very unusual. Um, And uh, because of some of the technical uh, issues related to the batteries, Um, You know, we didn't have a substantial amount of time to be able to to analyze um, specifically from Maria's uh, recording equipment. Um, This time around, um, because she was a little bit geographically further away from the site.
0: Yeah, hang on. Maria, how far were you from Stonehenge at the closest point this time?
4: I was about when I got close to Stonehenge, probably about 250 feet away from Stonehenge, 200, 250. Excellent. Okay.
2: The second. So, now,
8: yeah. So, so, I mean, the interesting thing is that you can hear the, this swirling, the helicopter, helicopter noise. I mean, it's this, this kind of the, the signal uh, that came back. Um, I mean, it almost perfect. sounds
0: like you're describing, and I wish we could play it for people. Ah,
8: I call for it the of... projector
7: sound. That's my projector. Yeah. So, so. Oh, hang on. Richard... let well,
0: well, let let let's go listen because it's radio, folks.
7: Yeah. Ah. Yes.
0: You know, I'm being yeah, so exactly, frustrated because so. uh, remember, yeah. this is like you know, nobody compares notes until we actually come together. So there is some overlap here. Let me get to John's and let me go down here. Well,
8: to, if you go to the I, my uh, line I- item number five, there's number a link five. to SoundCloud. Yeah, okay, and that's a playlist, and we've got a whole bunch of different um, different things that we can play uh, play from in here. Um, these relate back to some of the links in here. Actually, relate back to some of the items that we're going over. Um,
0: so, you want so me you click in- on it and play, what
8: background? What the what well, more the text? Yes, this is a playlist. Um, so there's 18 items in there. We don't have to play them all. Um, they're all labeled, so I can kind of give you a little bit of a guidance as to what to play. Um, so, but if you go to the SoundCloud link,
0: yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm just looking for the background. This this wishing vortex.
8: You described. well. That's going to be that's going to be in all of this stuff because this was kind of a common feature um, in Maria's recordings. Um, again, this is kind of like the the richness in what we're getting back and what we're analyzing from Maria's compared to um, the stuff that is coming into your radio and and David's radio and some of the other people. Um, I mean, what we're seeing is that these these uh, geographical locations in terms of being in proximity of different energetic ley lines or or the sacred sites themselves, you know, do definitely seem to be, you know, as we were, I, I think, initially kind of looking to test um, if they would act as like kind of like a, a natural signal amplifier, both on the signal going. So out, which
0: one should I play that reflects the background here?
8: describing? Um, I mean, you can start by playing the... So, maybe not number one, because that was, that was a Morse. Um, you can try playing item number two. All right. Here's an item number two. It says, Maria Rhythmic. Okay, It's 12-minute yes. Oh, mark. actually, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Um, let me just... Uh, bah, 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 bah. Uh, yeah, maybe play number m- number 11. Going
0: to 11. Okay. Weird pulse repeated. Okay, I was kind of looking at that myself. Okay, let's hope this works. This is what the raw data sounds like. That is not radio as I've ever heard it.
7: No. I call them stone beats, Richard. Stone beats yeah. and stone tones. <laughs>
8: yeah. I mean, the thing is... the, the, the thing is, is You weren't
0: banging a- on those monoliths, were you, Maria? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you didn't get see- closer than 200 feet. Okay. So go no, ahead. But, I
4: was see- not, but just one moment. I was opposite. Exactly. I positioned myself along that track to be opposite... The vortex where Richard uh, got his spike. Oh, that's the oh, the Akatron
0: readings system. back in yeah. 2011.
4: That's yeah. right. So I so, positioned myself to be in opposition to that. Yeah, so, Richard, what about, does this
0: uh, this almost sounds mechanical.
7: Nice I think that's a timing device inside the radio.
6: Ah, uh, no.
0: No. no, it would be able to, you wouldn't hear it.
8: Okay, so if you just press pause for a second, Richard? Okay. I mean, just just explain to people. So we had, um, in this attempt, um, A, there wasn't as as much kind of intensity. So we were able to sort of see a lot more texture in in this kind of chaotic noise. Okay. Now, in my experience, you know, I'm not really hearing too much that would kind of similar to traditional like radio static um, stuff that would be kind of more related to kind of like a pink or white noise uh, type of sound. Um, We had about a hundred and I think it was about 140 minutes uh, worth of recordings. And so my approach with this in, in kind of decoding it or just attempting to get my head wrapped around this was quite literally to sit down and listen to this from start to finish. So I listened to two hundred. Kind of like Jody
0: basic. Foster on the on the hood of the Pontiac. Yeah.
8: Exactly. Now you know, took a listen to this uh, straight in one sitting. And now the thing is, is that like as you kind of get into this. Um, you know, I, I kind of joked with, with you guys after the fact, I was sort of saying, like, you know, I hope this is safe. You know, I don't want, didn't want to sort of get <laughs> something, <laughs>
5: you
8: know, down, downloaded. And my, my wife certainly, uh, you know, had a bit of a chuckle when she kind of sat, saw me just kind of sitting there listening, listening to hours of, of what she would interpret as static. But here's the thing. There seems to be kind of different motifs and there's a, there's a definite palette. And what I mean by resolution is that there's just a lot more texture to the signals that's, that's coming in here um, than what we're getting from sort of a radio that's just positioned somewhere that's further away from an energetic, energetic line. So we're, we're definitely seeing and hearing um, that, you know, in the, in the signal, this like lushness. And, and as I kind of got into this, um, you know, these are with trained ears. I mean, for people out there, I've been producing music since the '90s. Um, I've got extremely trained um, ears for for basically dissecting mixed audio. Um, you know, it's it's a skill that you need to kind of fine tune uh, to become a good uh, music producer. So I can listen to pretty much any type of music, any type of sound, and I can kind of, you know, in like instead of visually dissecting it, I'm audio. Base dissecting it and can kind of focus my attention onto different areas, uh, which is obviously important for the for the mixing process when you're producing uh, producing music. So, as this was going on, I'm, I'm, you know, and this was just so much more rich than anything we've had up until this point. This is by far just some of the most uh, amazing um sort of evidence and and data that we've had to work with i mean it was really you know once i got into this it was really quite impressive now you know what john was talking about in terms of this rhythmic structure because you know after we both had sort of independently analyzed this um we were able to uh we were able to kind of reconnect and sort of compare some notes and we both agreed that there was just some points here that like you know it's there was almost like a real rhythmic structure that again, with my, with my, um, skilled and trained ears didn't feel, um, it it did feel kind of organic and somewhat natural. Um, not so much, uh, mechanical. Um, but they were, it was very musical. Um, you know, where after you're listening to this, And then all of a sudden, like there's a cohesiveness that comes together and you're like, wow, like this is like actually kind of like coming together. And then the thing is, is that like you'll sort of have these like energetic bursts that come in for like 20 minutes or 18 minutes. And then you'll just kind of have like a general sort of silence for a little bit. It's not like this is super continuous all the way through. Um, The behavior is really, really, really strange. I mean, it's just not as we're blowing through the break again.
0: Uh, no, I have 10 minutes of, oh, unless sorry. my computer is, see when, when oh. Maria visited Stonehenge Maria on the first time, on the fourth, you were in the center of the monument, in the center of the vortex, if you can think of it as a hurricane centered invisibly on those circular, circumcircular stones and your your watch. You said lost 15 minutes of time in the, in the yeah. hour or so that you were there.
4: Yes, that's right. I mean, uh, the, the inside, the holiest of holies, by the altar stone, which uh, is the near center. The most powerful place at Stonehenge, as in any stone circle, is the near center of the geometric. That's where the ancients would put the central megalithic features. And it was there that uh, was the most powerful, for sure.
0: Wow. Okay. So by being farther away, that overwhelming background that Thomas, you've been describing, although we're still hearing it in what uh, I guess John's calling the projector sound, it was yeah. lower. So the other modulations on top of that were more distinct. It wasn't drowned out in the background.
8: Well, this is what's, the, and this is, so, so we're sort of, you know, building up to, to, to. Well,
0: let's play some more samples because kind of people love to hear this. Yeah,
8: so, so pick exactly. one. So I think, so I think because we're talking about this rhythmic structure. Yeah. Um, I think if you did, uh, did we play number two already? No, we played, we played 11.
0: We played 11.
8: Yeah, so let's play number two. Right, this is play. kind of this, this rhythmic kind of feeling okay. that comes in. That's 12 minute mark on her recording. Got I'm
7: it. Nice. Yeah.
8: That's it? Yeah. These are highlighted sort of – Okay, let me do it again.
0: See, I hear structure – I hear with my untrained ear, even though I was a musician on Columbia Records, I hear two levels of structure. I hear the background, which is not random noise. There's a structure in that background then I hear a foreground, it's not pings, it's not musical, it's more like a staccato. Like someone's hitting
8: a a Coke bottle.
7: Coconut. (laughs) I I, wrote
8: a coconut, you know. Yeah, so if you go to... If you go to number four now, um, again, this is kind of a similar type of thing, this kind of rhythmic structure. This is what I kind of labeled it as like ping pong. Again, like John and I are kind of just, you know, randomly sort of naming these sounds as to kind of what we can kind of relate them to. But there is a definitive palette. Like it's not like there's a million different types of of noises that we're pulling up. There seems to be kind of a couple of different categories. All right. Here is
0: number four, which you describe as ping pong.
8: Yeah. And this is between the 29th and 30th minute mark within her recording. Okay.
0: It sounds like something from the Caribbean.
7: I have this, this for tomorrow night.
5: Yeah,
0: the same. There's a beat in there
7: The drum beat Yeah,
0: yeah there's a yeah. beat It sounds, what, almost like a hyperdimensional calypso <laughs> <laughs> Come to the
7: island
8: Holy cow, guys! So if you go to number five, now this is so this is my kind of interpretation. If you can just pause it before, before we play it. Okay. So this is again kind of like so. So this last one that we played was at the 29 to 30th minute mark. This is going from the this is about the uh, the 30, 30 minute 20 second uh, mark. Okay. So you're gonna hear the pink that kind of ping pong that rhythmic calypso, the hyperdimensional dimensional calypso, and then the distortion that you're kind of hearing to me, I kind of interpret this as like, it does sound like a kind of a voice. Okay. Like very, very distorted, but I've ruled out, like I can see in the recording when Maria has connected the radio, like when it's actually, she's put it into the Jack and you can see by the mono recording that this is coming straight from, from the radio. So there's no, there's no, nothing else polluting The digital recording into her digital recorder Hmm. Um, and after we've now kind of from the first attempt because of just the intensity of her being very close to stone um, inside of uh, stonehenge you know we had her reduce the recording volume so we had zero distortion there's zero distortion on this this is this is being recorded as you would want it at a good at a good volume you know properly connected um so so you can play this one so you'll continue to hear this ping pong voice and then I kind of call it like the data voice. That's just kind of how I interpreted the sounds. Um,
0: okay, here is 10, here.
8: Number five. Here, here is
0: number five.
2: It sounds
8: like an old Geiger counter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just—it's really—it's—it's—it's it's, it's really quite strange. And then, so to continue this kind of little section before, because because we're getting close to the bottom yeah, we of the hour. we've got
0: about four minutes here. Yeah.
8: yeah. So if we go into number six, this is now kind of shows you. This is kind of the ping pong sound that goes into the background and then to quiet. And then this is just kind of how, how this this signal kind of evolves and and sort of shifts and changes. It's really. Uh, It's fascinating, really. Okay, here's number six. here you can really hear the projector sounds in the background yeah uh, very very faintly like it's it's not that's the sound that was very 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 up front when maria was closer so i mean we're it's a, very strange so i mean i think yeah say
0: well hold it there we're trying to figure out a mystery a cosmic mystery we're listening to signals recorded by maria uh, weekly 200 and some feet from stonehenge on sunday afternoon february 20th 2022 and there's all kinds of coding from the numbers to the frequencies to the repetition to the hyperdimensional conga calypso Who are we in communication with? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall all return. Welcome back everyone to the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, I'm sorry, Saturday night into Sunday morning here in the land of enchantment. We're listening to Thomas Mather's decodings, frequency decodings of Maria's rep- recordings in the environs within about 250 feet of Stonehenge during a uh, incredibly inclement uh, British hurricane a couple weeks ago in the afternoon. Of the 20th, unlike her first foray into the center of the storm on the 4th, the background, although present, this this whirling, almost vortex-sounding um, background, you can hear other modulations in front. You can hear pulses. You can hear frequency spacing. You can hear that there is intelligence communicating something and as david has already shown us these same recordings are spitting out frequencies like crazy and those frequencies are incredibly meaningful literally connecting among other things uh, the impending invasion of ukraine by russia and then subsequently in the same recordings the connection between the great pyramid in egypt and the Ukrainian nuclear reactor on the Denipar River that was bombarded and assaulted and then taken over by the Russians just uh, two
7: nights ago.
8: So, Thomas, pick it up, please. Okay. So, again, like as I'm going through and I'm listening to this, um, you start getting acquainted with uh, some of this palette. Um, you sort of familiarize yourself with some of these, you know, projector sounds, helicopter type sounds, the whirling, swooshing. This is where things got weird. Um, because you know, after <laughs> Really? Then, Everything
0: up to now has been totally, <laughs> boringly normal, yeah. right? Just the well, afternoon this afternoon at yeah. Starbucks.
8: Okay. So, so, you know, as I'm listening to it, um, you know, what we're looking for are, you know, it's similar to how David is, is kind of working with his radios and, and analyzing his frequencies. We're analyzing the digital data and we're looking for frequency spikes, things that are going to kind of stand out. So, you know, it's not like looking for a needle in a haystack. I mean, once you kind of get accustomed to the sounds that you're hearing, <clears throat> you'll be able to hear when there's a tone. Um, as long as it's within the the human audio um, uh, frequency range. Um, So, you know, generally between 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz, um, which was actually that frequency sweep with something that we sent out the first transmission out of of Stonehenge. That was a part of the signal. Um, So anyways, the the first time that I heard an isolated tone uh, was... um, at the 40-minute mark, 40-minute uh, and 20-second mark uh, of Maria's recording. And um, there was – I mean, I definitely could hear the tone. Um, and then when I put it <clears> – <throat> when I put a, a spectral uh, spectrum analyzer to actually identify where the peak is, you can clearly see it. So if you uh, – let me just see if I have it in the items um, for this particular one, I don't, um, hmm. I've got it for the kind of the main, well, I've got it for the most important one. This is just the first, just, just keep in mind that it's not like we're getting, you know, a hundred different tones coming in. I mean, we're talking about probably like four clearly identifiable tones over the course of a hundred, 140 minutes of recordings. So this is not a common occurrence. Throughout this, this is why it stood out. So this was the first time that my attention kind of got peaked and I was like, hmm, what's that? And then I stopped and sort of analyzed it. So that's um, the link number seven on the SoundCloud, uh, which is uh, the the first frequency peak at 4.95 kilohertz. Um, and again, that's at the 40 minute, 20 second mark. OK,
0: so that's what this sounds like. All right.
8: Let's yeah.
0: This, And then I'll turn that up. And there's a lot of stuff to do here.
8: So you can hear it in the background like the the, uh, Not really.
0: I gotta be honest. I don't hear it.
8: If you let me try it again. I hear it.
0: What I hear is okay. the background uh, sounds like a machine gun, and then I hear yep. the the, uh, the pings or the the, mm-hmm. the kind of congo drum thingy. Let me listen again. Mm-hmm.
7: I don't hear a tone. I separated yep. the tones, uh, which I have for tomorrow night's show, Richard, so you'll be able to hear them better. Yeah.
8: So the the important thing, so again, this was just, it was the first time that I kind of noticed something a little bit different than what we had been hearing for the first 40 minutes. Now, oddly enough, this is where things get for me the weirdest, is that like about just after this, just after this section, I could have sworn that I heard a voice. And it was very quick, mm. but it was and that's, and when it happened, like literally the hair stood up on my arms and then I went back and, um, because we were sort of delayed, uh, with the show, I was able to really kind of go back in. I have ruled everything out. So I don't know if this is like, you know, some type of an electronic voice phenomenon. I don't know what it is. Um, it's very short sort of fillable, um, Again, I, I kind of when I heard this the first time, you know, I, I went and grabbed my wife and I said, "Hey, listen to this. You know, do you hear anything in it?" And she clearly said, "Yeah, I hear a voice in the background." Um, so this is item eight, nine, ten. So number eight, this is now this is the I've repeated the section four times. Okay, so you'll hear a little bit of a break between it, so that you can hear it and look for the look for the the voice. The voice is kind of sitting in the background a little bit. Um, the first one is this is the unprocessed, so this is the raw uh, sound that comes through. See, we um, don't
0: hear voices a, normally on any of these transmissions. The only voices we heard, we dismissed a couple of weeks ago as triggers in the radio of a preset program. Which this is,
8: is definitely not the. This is definitely not any.
0: It's not in the radio.
8: Of, it, it's
7: well, check not this in the out, Richard. Yeah. Uh, for the 4th of February, I heard what I thought. I When I heard it, I thought EVP. This is on February 4th, Maria's recording. I didn't say it to anyone on the team. I wanted to keep this independent and see if anybody else noticed it. I contacted someone uh, on from Paraflex who works with EVPs to see what they thought of it. And then on the 20th, I found... Three more, and then this past Tuesday, Tom and I got together on the phone. And when he said he he heard EBP, I was like, Bingo! Mm. I'm,
0: okay, I'm let's let's, let's let's play it here. Okay, ready? <laughs> Boy, you guys have good ears. I don't hear mm-hmm. a thing. I heard yet. it,
2: Thomas. I heard it. It's very yeah, faint, call- but I heard it. Yeah.
8: So let me so let, me, let me try it, now, it
0: again. Let me try it again.
8: No, but but just to make it easier for people, like I just want people to hear the original one.
0: Well, we okay. just did that. So support.
8: yes. So if you go to number nine, this is process. So number all I've done nine? is I've just yeah. Number nine. <laughs> I'm um, thinking of Lily
0: Tomlin. Number nine. Okay. Here's number nine. nine.
8: Okay. Yes. Ready? Here goes. And I further process process it in number ten. So what you should be looking for is in the back there, you can hear something that sounds like Ray or Gray, and it's like, and it sounds like doesn't sound like a woman's voice. It to me sounded, I I don't know, I mean, but I mean now knowing that, play number ten, and you'll hear it in the background. It's okay, lit, here's so number ten
0: played yeah. four times. Mm-hmm. Guys, I gotta tell
2: oh, you. Oh yeah,
0: you can hear that. I don't hear a thing.
5: Yeah, so I hear the machine
0: gun. Hang on, hang on, don't pass over that, because I have average ears. You know, if I'm not hearing it, how many in the audience are hearing it? Is are we sure it's really on the recording, or is it triggering something in you, Thomas, and you, John? That's already in your own minds and it's acting as a trigger as opposed to it's in the radio.
8: No, you said Stonehenge. Yeah, no, no. just Yeah, like like one thing that I want to kind of say here, like, you know, I have extremely good. I've got extremely good ears when it comes to stuff like this. And I can tell you that after I. Yeah, and I'm listening on
0: $300 headphones that aren't made me spend that much money Mm -hmm. to get. And I'm telling no you, either. when I when I play it, I don't hear it. Like it almost voices.
8: sounds like great. It almost like great, great, great. Like it's
2: like. It's in anyways, the background, Richard. You can hear it. It's yeah. definitely there.
0: Yeah. Let me try it again. Yeah. So, gl- and- David, I'm glad you're hearing it because. Okay, oh, I thought I, thought yeah, I, I might hear have it. heard. Maria, are you hearing it?
4: Yes, I can hear it. Oh, it I think it's great or great. It's in between the no, the noisy bit, as it were. It's very, it was. It's,
7: it's very it's short. It's
4: very fleeting.
0: And My cat can
7: hear it, Richard. Come on. <laughs> Your
5: cat? <laughs>
0: oh, God. Well, I have educated mice. You have an educated cat. Okay, <laughs> let's try it one more time with feeling. Okay, I am with repetition. I'm hearing great, great, great. But
8: yes, it's way exactly. under the noise. I know, but here's the thing. I went back after hearing that. Okay. And, and the tone of the voice. God, you have okay. amazing ears to hear that. I in went the back. Raw. I went back. I went ah. back and I listened to the entire recording again.
0: Georgia can hear it. Ah, <clears throat> yeah. I, I feel like the slow kid in
8: class <laughs> yeah um so i went back knowing to what to look for to see if i could hear that coming through the transmission at any other point in the 140 minutes right and nothing like that happens again it's the only part in 140 minutes it's just that little part but well, that there's is three f- other
7: evps i made note of
8: but not none of them say great they're different sounds Yeah, I mean, this is like, this is, I mean, it is, it's a short, you know, unisyllable, you know, syllable word. I mean, I wish it was a message, but I mean, it's definite, it's definitely a voice.
7: And Richard, Uh remember you said yourself that Stonehenge is, you know, opens up sort of a doorway or lifts the veil between the two worlds. So this, these could be EVPs.
0: Well, that's that's exactly why Georgia – Georgia, say hello to everybody, okay?
9: Hello, everybody. Hi, Georgia. (laughs) Hello.
0: How come everybody can hear this more easily than I can? This is weird. Maybe I'm losing my hearing.
9: (laughs) You know what it it reminded me of are those technologies where you – where headphones and one sound is played in the right ear and one is in the left ear right. and entra- train to something else. It's sort of like the, the floor noise and the background noise are kind of doing that.
7: I'm actually going to do a binaural comparison for next weekend, Georgia.
8: Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is that like, you know, so with in comparing what we're receiving to some type of a binaural uh, beat. Um, or that type of a binaural effect. The binaural effect requires a stereo signal. And we're recording mono. This is what's coming under the radio is 100% a mono signal. So, you know, I understand what you're saying that like, you know, it could potentially be some overlap. But this is not some type of like an interference between uh, like a foreground and, and, and background noise. Like this is definitely a unique It's um, like somebody whispering
0: in a hurricane.
8: Yeah, it's, Why didn't they want to make themselves
0: more obvious?
8: Now hey, this is this. interesting,
2: you guys. Ray in Hebrew means little lamb. Oh, There's a that's phonetic god. word. Ray is in ancient Hebrew means little lamb.
0: Yeah, and the okay. – the, the, uh, hi, Ron. The, uh, the uh, Egyptian sun god, is it Ray or Ra? Oh,
6: either,
5: wow. Oh
0: either gosh. one. Well, then, Ray could relate to the Great Pyramid to the anchor point of David's frequency uh, analysis as a redundant second level.
2: Oh, my God, Richard. And, you know, I just, while we've been on the air, I found in Maria's data precise Great Pyramid to Chernobyl. Now, remember.
8: That was the
2: first place that Putin took over. That's And it's exact, Richard. I mean in kilometers. I'm going to do the graphic for tomorrow night, and I also got Pyramid to Kiev just south of the city also in Maria's data. So the odds of this new technique that the pyramid is like the eye of Ra or Ray, and it's, it's, it's giving me distances in kilometers mm. from the pyramid to the targets, I mean, I mean, John,
0: now got, and John, now. and John, and John, and by Perfect. metonymy, the great pyramid, ancient Egyptian civilization, connections to Mars.
8: Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, as we kind of, you know, again, like, you know, as I'm continuing to listen to this, I mean, the voice definitely was something that kind of spooked me. I mean, it was exciting to finally hear something. I'm of, spooked of, that I mean, you heard is, the dance.
2: What's when, the phonetics? proper phonetic for the, the Egyptian god Ra this i mean it, maybe it's Ra but well, we
0: don't know there's nobody around that speaks ancient egyptian
2: <laughs> no there is some
6: controversy about it though and that's why it would, they finally settled it like last year that you can call it, you can use either pronunciation Ra or Re. by the way yeah. one of our <clears throat>
0: experimenters oh no,
2: looking at, he's right i'm it's in it's in the encyclopedia.com also, and Ray, R-E.
0: One of our experimenters tomorrow night, one of our investigators who Whoa. was at the Balanced Rock um, in uh, northern New York State, his his nickname is Ra or Ray.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I don't think this is referring to him. No,
8: I, no. I don't think. Um, you no. can't
6: say Ra Charles, but you can say, yeah, if it's by itself, you can just say Ray
8: yeah I like so all
6: better
0: okay we are we are nineteen minutes after the hour. Time is moving at warp speed. We need to move on, Thomas. Let's go listen to the next yep. weird stuff. So this
8: is the yeah, so this you know as again, like as this is kind of going on, um, you know, I hear a another tone, and this tone it was very was a lot more clear, and it kind of came in and now it sort of fades in. Um, so I've done that item number 12. You'll hear the tone kind of fade in. I repeated that three times. Okay. And then it comes back in for a longer period. So you can play number 13 right after. And this is actually connected to the picture that's in my uh, linked, uh, linked files, which is item number four, which is a picture of the spectrogla- uh, spectrograph and you see where the peak is so play it first and then we'll sort of unveil what the what the frequency ended up being
0: okay here it is number 12 in your items repeated three times oh that's a clear tone
8: yes that is very clear and then if you go into number 13 this is the tone that extends longer yeah let
0: me go to 13 going to 13. Sound like Spock on the Enterprise. Let me do that again. So these are the first real tones we've ever
8: received. Yeah, and. Yeah, there's a lot of it there. There seems to be, again, like it's not like there's, you know, like a thousand different uh, tones. I mean, that's definitely one of the clearer ones. The crazy thing is, is that that is pie.
0: You're I kidding. Mean, it's
8: like, no, it's like, you know, if you take a look at where it's sitting on the spectrograph, it's like, you know, 99. I mean, again, like the the uh, analyzer that I'm using, um you know, it's kind of, I, I kind of zoomed in as far as I can kind of go, but it's like, you know, I would say like 99.9% close to being the value of pi, which is extremely weird You mean, mean
2: 3,140 or, or 314? No,
8: it's, three, uh, it's uh, 314. Hertz. Yeah. Uh, sorry, 3.14 kilohertz
2: kilohertz, right let, so me, that's let, me, let yeah. me play it
0: again, this is pretty amazing
2: yeah, so that's a high this, tone
0: this is pi Hi.
5: so just as a like
8: wow so, and then just to, to kind of give a comparison, so there's another, um, another section in, so, and if you play item number five, this is a different tone. So this is 558 hertz. I don't know necessarily what the significance of that, that number is. I mean, it's just it's something that was also picked out. This is at the five. 82 minute, yeah, number 15 on the SoundCloud links, and that's, this is, uh, oh, no, no,
0: you, you said number five.
8: Oh, sorry, number 15.
0: All right, let me bring 15 yep. up. Okay, here we are. 558 hertz. Yeah. Sounds like now the crazy,
8: uh, Yeah, the crazy thing about this exactly. The crazy thing is is that this actually sort of shifts down. Like it slowly kinda goes down. Which we didn't do. I mean, that's not a part of any of the of the signal that we put out. So I mean this is something very strange. So We've it's never what? It's 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 hang on. It's Doppler shifting? It's like
0: a sweep. like a like a train it's like a sweep, yeah. going away. It's a sweep.
8: But it's super, super mild. Like it's maybe going down 10 hertz, you know, go from like 558. I mean, that's like if you play number 16 just to help people at home to kind of uh, to look for what we're listening to Every here. Help number 16. Helps. Yeah. So number 16, I actually is just a pure tone, a 558 hertz pure tone okay. that I created with the tone generator.
0: All right. Let me play it.
8: Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you go to the, the again, back to 15, to hear it sort of in context. Here we are.
0: Starts there. It continues. It's continuing under that background.
6: I yeah. couldn't hear the other one, but I can hear this one.
8: Hmm. So then finally, kind of getting through it, so again i don't know really what the significance of five fifty eight hertz, but again this that that behavior only happens kind of like you know like once, and then it doesn't happen for the rest of the rest of the recording you don 't hear that that frequency again anywhere um, and then there was another one, the other kind of uh, you know i guess significant uh, frequency that we found is two point five two kilohertz which is at the 72 minute 15 second mark of Maria's recording um that's item number 17 okay here's 17 <laughs>
0: So all we have to figure out is what 558 is.
8: Well, no, two, that's a two point. That's 2.52 kilohertz, so 2,000. No, I, I was talking about
0: hertz. the previous one, and then this one.
8: Mm-hmm. Well, this is why 558 is kind of important because again, at 18, I, I sort of was incorrect because I'd originally said that uh, the 558 hertz um, only came in once. The 558 hertz comes in again at the 84 minute mark, and that was that was the final kind of like sound. Um, sound item there. Okay. Um, yeah, I hear it.
0: It begins about one third of the way in.
8: Yeah. There. Yeah. Oh so I don't know what the I don't know what the significance of five fifty eight is, but I mean that's definitely kind of there. Well, we'll I mean, spend I think a week really... looking,
0: and we'll all have the answer by next Sunday. Or Saturday. <laughs>
8: yeah. So, so, so bottom, so bottom line, bottom line. I mean, uh, in terms of some of the evidence that we've been able to get, uh, I mean, I wish we received, you know, basically plans on how to build some type of machine or something, a la a la contact. Uh, but I mean, to have been able to have picked out a voice, like a clear voice, and and these tones, uh, which have some type of in to me some type of intelligence behind it. And then really just the absolute vast richness.
0: Okay, um, let me raise a specter
8: here. We've got
0: for the for the for the weird voice, which you gotta listen to like three or four times before you begin to it's like so ghostly under the noise in the background. We've got Ray. Okay. Great. Okay. What if it's saying gray?
8: Well, well like, that in, was my-
0: like in alien grays, like a species somehow connected to humans, which is in the backdrop of UAPs and UFOs and abductions and uh, could that be it?
8: Well, when I played this for my wife, she was the first person because when I heard the voice, I wasn't even thinking I was so taken aback and so shocked to have have heard the voice because it kind of popped out of nowhere. Uh, When I played it for her and I had it looped so she kind of could listen to it like we did uh, just now um the first thing that she said was gray and i was like please don't say that because it's just like i really you know but but you know i think gray ray great i i'm leaning kind of now more towards great myself but there's a there's something there you know that's one
0: of those kind of ironic things i say all the time oh great <laughs> <laughs> so we got ray great or gray. And that has really interesting implications. You want to hear more? Stick around for the next half hour. We're going to take you places that maybe maybe some of you don't want to go. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. I want to delve into the meaning of all this. Do we know enough to impart or decode or intuit a meaning or do we need more a straight line from the Great Pyramid to the world's to the Europe's biggest nuclear reactor invaded by the Russians two nights ago and then a straight line from Giza to Chernobyl which the Russians invaded a week ago are you discerning a pattern here we shall return
3: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. 8 cents an episode, 2.5 cents per hour of content. The other side of Midnight.com.
0: And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight, which is really now in the land of enchantment. The other side of midnight on this Sunday morning, March sixth, twenty twenty-two, and what you've been listening to for the last uh, two and a half hours plus now is transmissions from somewhere, someone, somehow, from something somewhere in or out of time because in addition to the tonal qualities a mysterious voice saying ray or great or gray we have connections between giza and the largest nuclear reactor in europe just invaded by the russians and then we've got connections between giza and chernobyl invaded by the russians and i guess i want to start this half hour this last uh, half hour by giving a little bit of background so let me direct you back to the other side of midnight uh, on the guest page i want you to click on my name that will take you to my items in radio with pictures item three and four have to do with the invasion of uh chernobyl a few uh, about a week ago and then two nights ago the invasion of uh, the nuclear reactor uh, that they actually fired—they fired, you know, tracers. They fired artillery shells. It looked like they were trying to do something really dastardly. And yet, we got this as a recording from our ET friends from somewhere or somewhen or somehow days before. <clears throat> Excuse me, weeks in this case, before the events actually occurred. So what is going on? Okay, I wanna direct you to item number five because science is projection of data that you know into the unknown that you don't know as of yet. Item number five, um, I've got a a GOES satellite image of the Tonga explosion in the Southwest Pacific at 20.6 degrees south latitude. The reason we know that the transmissions were telling us about Tonga is because they came in, in the frequency meter as David was, you know, recording his, uh, his modalities at 20.6. So it was obviously a prediction two weeks before during the Christmas weekend uh, radio receptions and transmissions of what was going to happen. Now, why is Tonga important? Because it was, and the estimates are all over the map. I've seen 18 megatons. I've seen over 50 megatons. It was an extraordinary explosion from the ocean floor into the mesosphere, above the the stratosphere, at an altitude of something like 30 plus miles, 34, 35 miles. Now take a look at number six. What I've done is I've still framed the GOES satellite imagery. So I could capture a single frame and just as this explosion erupted from the ocean surface, it had a cubical geometry. And on the cubical geometry, there were four dark dots arrayed, as you can see by the comparison, with five black dots uh, with one in the center, four uh, with one in the center making five that basically look like a five dice cube, a five die. And David and I went back and forth about the meaning of five. Well, it turns out that it's related mathematically to the Great Pyramid. Item number seven, this is the comparison of the satellite view of the eruption of the cube from the ocean with a side view taken by a ship that was fortunately close enough to get good video and far enough away to not be smashed flat by the stunning shock waves. And you can see literally the two-dimensional perspectives of this cube erupting at sunset from the ocean, literally at sunset at the Terminator. And then number seven, this is several minutes later as the cloud, these are all clickable, by the way, if you click on them, they get much bigger, as the cloud is expanding upward into space. The inner geometry forms a series of nested cubical geometries over and over again. In fact, when I was on with uh, uh, George Noor the other night, he looked at this image and he said, wait a minute, explosions don't form cubes. I mean, he was stunningly correct, because they don't. Let me tell you what does form a cube in three dimensions. A projection of energy into three dimensions from a higher dimension from four or five or six because the first three-dimensional construct that you can create after a point a line and then a three-dimensional figure in three space are two interlocked tetrahedrons which form a cube so someone two weeks before this unprecedented and it's getting tiresome saying that in the last several years unprecedented explosive energetic event in the south pacific at 20.6 south latitude predicted by our et transmissions two weeks before someone was warning us of the projection of extraordinary energies from a higher dimension into our three-dimensional reality in the safety of an ocean where the closest island Tonga only had I think uh, a few people killed I say only because it's like if you're going to do this in a meaningful way you can't move the real estate out of the way so someone decided that the message was more important than those lives and someone else apparently told us weeks before this was going to occur. Now, if you're part of the global deep state or the global military industrial complex, you realize in looking at this and doing a lot more analysis, because you have a lot more data than we do tonight, you realize that this is a a um, confrontation with someone controlling energies which transcend, supersede anything that any governments or private entities on the planet are supposedly capable of controlling. I keep trying to rationalize why Putin has invaded against every norm, every counterintuitive fact and figure and extrapolation, why he has invaded Ukraine. And then... In succession taken control of two nuclear reactors which if they were even slightly destabilized would create the most horrific catastrophe for humankind in the 21st century because if he does it to one he could do it to all of them and he is putting himself position and somewhere somehow in these transmissions the importance of these sites were being flagged, again, weeks before they actually took place. So what's the backdrop? What's the meaning? Who is trying to tell us what about events to come, the effect on the planet, the effect on humanity, and who, in fact, might be behind the incredibly recent negative events that we see unfolding 24-7 now, on national television it's at this point i think i want to bring georgia in because georgia you've been doing some thinking about this and you've got a potential list,
9: a list. this is only a partial list um but um, uh, some some of the entries on the list are probably more probable than others but we don't want to box in the box at this point. We want to be able to think in, in ways that, you know, may, not turn, it may turn out to be nothing but uh, are, are a little different. Um, I've got a couple categories here. Uh, a, a couple of them will need some explanation. The first category, which you've brought up, is are we talking to family out there? And if we are talking to family, are they current? Uh, societies out there or are they ancient past perhaps coming through time in some way are they close uh, perhaps uh, within this planet on basis within this planet or are they far out there Um, what is their agenda are they indifferent are they trying to warn us Um, these are all questions that would relate to the category of family. Then you can talk about other dimensions. Are we talking about parallel universes? Are we talking about higher realms that humanity accesses only in that transition that we call death? Um, You know, where do EVPs come from? Uh, Is it higher realms? Is it what the Hindus call the Deva Kingdom? Which is a parallel kingdom to consciousness Uh, we would call it um, a kingdom of form or or matter Um, on the low end of that would be for instance the little flower fairies and nature spirits on the higher end would be angels and archangels Uh, that's a whole nother category then you've got the planetary hierarchy the spiritual adepts and masters Um, Those of the human race that have remained behind on this planet to teach and uh, instruct humanity as to its identity. And then you've got a category which I call us, and that one needs a little bit of explanation. Uh, I'll give you an example of something that happened to me when I was about nine years old. I was nine years old, playing with my cousins at a friend's farm, and it was getting towards sunset, and um, uh, I decided to just go be by myself. Now, I hadn't uh, remembered this memory ever, and a few years back, uh, I was doing my daily meditations. I wasn't meditating on time or anything like that. And as I was sitting in meditation, this memory popped up. Uh, It was more than a memory. It was a reenactment, really. I was my adult self in meditation, but I was also my child self experiencing this again. And as a child, I uh, extricated myself from my cousins and uh, went down to the shore of the lake And I remember it was about sunset. I remember looking up at the sky and and just feeling really anxious and frustrated. And I remember as a child, uh, of course, re-experiencing it now in in my meditation, I remember as a child getting very frustrated and looking up at the sky and saying, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What does it all mean? And my adult self in meditation and re-experiencing this immediately flooded my younger self with love and support and basically an attitude of don't worry, everything will work out fine. And I remember as a child, when that frustration reached a pitch, all of a sudden there was this peace that descended. And I realized I was the answer to my own prayer that there was a loop that was created between myself as a child and myself as an adult giving the answer.
0: So. Oh, so you were literally linking yes. across the time stream and yes. you were the one you had been waiting for.
9: Exactly. Wow. So, and, and I also realized in meditation that if this could be done, if that kind of loop could be created in a lifetime, Why not
0: over several lifetimes? Oh, wow.
9: So are we talking to us (laughs) in the future?
0: Oh, my God.
9: So those are just a few categories that, you know, might involve taking a look.
0: Okay, the floor is open. Who wants to respond?
7: Richard, I I should mention that... um... This is common in, <clears throat> in the OBE sort of world that, that I live in, and uh, in fact, in one of my episodes, I use 3D animation to reenact a time when I I go out of body, I get an emergency signal, I go back, and I'm in England, and it's a pirate ship, and I am watch myself fighting these pirates, and I'm almost... Then I die and I go up in the sky through the the tunnel and then I'm pulled into this guy's body. Now I'm fighting these pirates. I'm like, what the hell? And I have to save this woman. So my past life called. It was so the alarm signal was stronger than any other. It was like, Oh my God, help, 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 help. So I had to get this woman there and my old self called and I heard, and I went back, and I got the woman there, and once she was safe, I exited that body, and it, it hit the dirt, and I headed home. So, yeah, you do go back and help yourself.
9: And and the corollary to that is that if all of our incarnations are going on simultaneously, there are future incarnations that have solved the very troubles that we are dealing with now and we can become receptive to our future selves that has the answer. Well, you know, that's well,
8: very
5: another...
8: – go ahead. So, go ahead. Yeah, no, what I was going to say is that, um, you know, another way to sort of look at it is that you've got basically every single kind of possibility – of you know i guess within time kind of like this this idea of sort of like a multidimensional kind of matrix like layers upon layers and you know we are kind of existing within what is the most kind of like probable sort of thing at the moment but the reality is is that everything is to happen has already happened you know and is currently happening um so it's it's kind of like you know the idea of of sort of like a zero point um you know could be applied to the time as well so yeah i mean it's you know where 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 and what and how you know we're we're sort of attempting to communicate with is is you know i guess still the the mystery but um, I mean, it definitely sort of seems like we're honing in to something. Um, you know, the quality of the evidence that we're getting is definitely kind of ramping up from the from the initial sort of attempts back in uh, back in December, and um, continues to kind of you know lead us down this this path together. See, we, we
2: built a software, a computer software that that follows the algorithms and the decoding methods I'm using. You could literally be live listening to a reception from a transmission and it would spit out all these possible locations on the planet.
0: Well, the Do other you night, plan- David, let me interrupt well, because we don't have a lot of time left and I want to get back to Maria. The other night when I was on with George and I was laying out the Tonga and intimating, teasing about the Ukrainian stuff, he said to me, very matter of factly, he says, well, wouldn't it be useful if you could have decoded this? You know, two weeks before, like almost in real time before Tonga, before you know, and and that's
2: exactly what I mean.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so this, we this is would need
2: money to do that. This is where well, we need funding.
0: <laughs> we need funding. We need other expertise. We have a vast audience in 193 countries who knows who's listening. Thomas came to us randomly Ha ha, ha by listening, by being recommended to listen to what we're doing. And he has put his heart and soul and 110% into this and has produced amazing results. There's got to be more Thomases out there. There's got to be computer experts. There's got to be people that deal in cryptography and codes. There's got to be people who are, you know, signals processing is second nature. They can, you know, lift those voices up to where we can actually hear them more clearly maybe superposition or or some kind of spectral filtering or whatever. In other words, we need more expertise because the reason we're doing this, I mean, the, the reason this is coming at the end of my 40 plus years of trying to get humanity to pay attention to what's around us in the solar system that's artificial, that was built by somebody, most likely our great, 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 great grandmothers, is because I think I thought then I think now it's the only thing that can intercede and stop the insanity, the road we are apparently on, where we're literally tonight poised, as we haven't been since the Cold War, on the edge of someone who has twice now threatened to use nuclear weapons in this current conflict.
9: Richard? If so I, I can throw one more quick thing in here um you're you're calling for for people with different skills uh I think that perhaps uh some road we might go down is to find a reputable experienced remote viewer and have them target on these signals.
2: Oh no, that's interesting. no no but we're we're better than that we, We've got data that's already telling us where the signals lead but we're decoding it after the fact and proving it mathematically to precision like I just got pyramid to Chernobyl while we've been sitting here tonight going through the video I recorded of Maria's you know data so that means if we had all we need is a software that can read those frequencies and convert them and I could I could tell a programmer exactly how I'm doing it. And well, it may you...
0: already exist. We just don't know about it because we don't live in that universe. And if there's someone listening who does and they say, oh, you need such and such, we don't have to write our own code. Worst case scenario, there's someone out there that could help us write the code so we could do this literally in real time and anticipate the future warning that someone is now twice, more than twice, is repeatedly giving us, obviously, to try. To be helpful.
2: Well, no, I, I'll note that I do oh, have that? one more location that's what? very sensitive. I'll tell you off the air what it okay, is. Richard. Okay, okay. Because if I gave it okay. out, it could be damaging. I
0: understand. Uh, who was hmm. that trying to, to... –
6: That was me. Uh, Ron. Ron, I had, I, I'd I like to throw a thought in here. I was thinking to myself something that I thought was too absurd to mention, uh, <laughs> which is
5: – You're well, kidding. When you
6: were talking. On this well, show. Well, you were talking about, <laughs> yeah, when you were talking about things coming from other dimensions, I'm thinking, or other planets, I'm thinking, well, along with the signal from contact, there was the one that was received that started the Andromeda strain, you know. But uh, then I thought, okay, uh, what about uh, somebody just messing with us from another dimension, which led me to uh, Mr. Mitzpitlik. The uh, legendary imp from the fifth dimension in the Superman series, and yes, it's pronounced a bunch of different ways. That part's not my fault. Uh, and so I said, "Well, okay, he appeared first in October 1944. Well, what was going on in October 1944? Specifically, World War II. Hmm. Uh, there was the uh, an attack by the Russians on uh, something in Warsaw, and one of the largest sea battles." ever fought um, so maybe there is a connection
0: i would think this is more future oriented where we are now there may be analogies to the past a lot of people in the last you know week have been comparing this to 1939 et cetera, and nobody did anything and look what happened and now we're frozen because we can't do anything because nuclear weapons are involved and one of the participants has avidly you know, warned of nuclear weapons twice redundantly and has taken over two nuclear sites in Ukraine. There's a trend curve there. It'd be very nice if we had more more forward-looking radar as to what could happen next so we can forestall it. And that may be the short-term use of what we're doing in a very practical sense. If we That's get the really right hard help
2: to do. That's what my fourth location is, Richard. It it is what could happen next. And And I'll tell you off the air.
1: In
7: 2010, here they are going out to investigate this monolith and back home on Earth.
0: There's a confrontation between the Soviet Union and us around Costa Rica. Yeah. I mean,
8: I think I I think something that we should be kind of just taking into consideration here is that you know, let's kind of bringing this back to what we're like, what frequencies we're putting this out on. Um, Again, I mean, we've been hoping to kind of tap into some type of an ancient kind of communication network. And, you know, the the analogy that we've been doing is that, you know, with these with these uh, uh, signals that we're putting out there, we're trying to tickle that like hyperdimensional ether, the the, the matrix. Um, And and basically, like, you know, I think these big events, you know, like a big energetic release like Tonga or like significant sort of uh, conflict, you know, that has the the general sort of human emotional level very, very high, are significant sort of impacts onto this this uh, this network, this matrix, this hyperdimensional kind of web um, as well, right? So, you know, thinking of it kind of like a giant kind of interconnected spider web that you're sort of feeling these reverberations. Well, we so. have a
0: great thing, and I'm going to go back to Maria, because Maria, and we got about two minutes, the next data point we're going to get, or data points, is from Egypt, because you're going to the Giza Plateau.
4: Yes, uh, that's right. I'll be there from um, the 18th of March uh, to the 1st of April, and I'm just waiting back to hear exactly when I will be at the Great Pyramid and what time, so I can relay that to you. But but just briefly, well... Um, We've heard the words grey or great or raw or, you know, but when I was at Stonehenge, what I heard come out of Stonehenge uh, was peace. That is what I heard in my head as I was looking, doing and doing the recording. So I do think there's a lot of hope uh, in what we're doing.
0: Well, that would mean that what we're doing can somehow impact what everybody wants, which is peace. And I think we just need to get better at what we're doing, which needs we we definitely need more more help. So if you have an expertise, if you're an intuitive, if you're a remote viewer, if you're an electronics expert, if you're a cryptographer, if you're, you know, CIA and you get tickled by this, get hold of us. The contact information is on the website and we're going to pick up with part two tomorrow night, more decodings, more uh, reaching out for more help, and maybe, just maybe, some actual answers. And don't everybody speak at once.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I, be there it. or be square.
0: <laughs> hey, you know, folks, we run to the end of our runway. So I want to thank everybody, and I'm not going to name them all because I'll forget somebody. Like I forgot Ron the other night on Coast to Coast, you know, um, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa, I will remedy that the next time, Ron. So until tomorrow night, there we are. You are on the other side of midnight. This has been three hours of trying to decode the undecodable. One thing we do know, we're getting messages somehow ahead in time. Can we regularize that? Can we make it systematic? Can we pick it up in real time? Can we have an impact on the trends of future history in the next several weeks? Join us tomorrow night. Same time, same bad channel. And remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. See you tomorrow night.